0: Hey, what's going on everybody? Welcome back to On Point. This episode I sit down with professional archer, Paige Pierce, and she has a very impressive record under her belt for wins across the world and has a lot of really good info, a lot of really good insight, and just a wealth of knowledge uh, that we're able to pull out of her in this episode. And I really wanted to get her perspective from a woman being in the archery industry, hunting and shooting, and getting an idea of what kind of obstacles that maybe that they face versus somebody that's shooting you know, an 80 or 70 pound setup at longer draw. And I just really appreciate her insight there. There's a lot to learn from her. And I, I think the conversation even went so good that I'd really like to have her back on in the future to talk more about shooting techniques and tips and form and all that stuff. So we dive into all that, arrows, bows, tuning, and uh priorities for the lady hunter lady shooter out there what they need to focus on and uh just really appreciate her time so she has a brand new youtube channel and an instagram i'll put links to both of those things below in the description box and uh, appreciate you for listening so i'll see you at the end of the episode bye Alrighty, so let's go ahead and get this thing rolling what do you what do you say
1: yeah, sounds good to me.
0: <laughs> so, all right. Well, let's go ahead and get you a little uh, like introduction real quick here. Um, I'm excited to have you on because you're from Oregon, aren't you?
1: Uh, I'm actually from California. <laughs>
0: California. but you Okay, yeah. so I must Ugh. have you confused because you did a seminar, was it this year or last year, up in Bowtech, and I just thought you came down from Portland. So. <laughs>
1: no. Oh, gosh. No, I think Portland's actually worse than California right now. Yeah, I, <laughs> I think you're right. I don't know <laughs> what would be better. <laughs>
0: so you're from no, California, I'm from
1: Red Bluff, California. So like right by ready.
0: Okay. Oh shoot. So you're right next to the big mama Jamba.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so right. That's what I grew up shooting, which, you know, just cause that's the kind of tournament we have all around here.
0: So when, when I think of like female shooters and professional, you can't really have that conversation or that even thought without thinking of your name because you've been pretty freaking dominant. I mean, that's I mean, can you give us some of your background there and what you've accomplished so far?
1: Yeah. Um, well, I started shooting when I was around two. Uh, my parents both shot, both hunted. So they started, myself and my little brother, when we were super young. And then, let's see. I made our United States archery team at the age of 13 and have been kind of doing that ever since. Um I've been, like, multiple-time NFA Shooter of the Year, I think six-time, like, Western Classic, the Reading Shoot uh, Champion Field. I won the um, world Field World Championships with World Archery in 2018, Indoor World Cup Finals, and the Vegas Shoot this year in 2020. Um, Honestly, I don't know. There's a lot of shoots (laughs) I can keep going, but, uh, yeah, I shoot a lot of, like, Field and reading style stuff, kind of more indoor in the last few years. The feta style stuff. I've dabbled in some ASA, so I kind of shoot it all.
0: Holy crap! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you've you've been around the archery game pretty much your whole life, and um, and I've seen you with with index style releases, and I think I've seen you with handheld releases. I might be wrong on that, but
1: no, nope, you're right.
0: <laughs> so um, you're one of so when I look to the archery, and I I, I say this all the time, but I look to the pro world, uh, the practice or whatever the professional archery world see what you guys use and then i base that off of my setups and i'll make changes accordingly and try and you know pick and choose what works for me and toss out what does and and keep what does and most pros aren't from what i see using index style releases can you walk me through why you why you use one of those
1: so um so just to clarify i started shooting with like a thumb button when well my dad started me on a hinge when i was eight Um, and his whole thing was, yeah, if you ever want to be good, you need to learn to shoot back tension. And the only way to do that is on a hinge. And I was eight and I punched myself in the mouth like a million times. That was like back when there was the old Stanislavski's before we even shot D loops and you would like loop the like thing on the release around the string and connect it. Um, so I learned back tension at a young age and then I shot a thumb button until I was around, let's see, 16, 18 for like, yeah, I think 18, so like 10 years. And then um, I have an elbow injury from shooting, uh, basically my joint grew wrong from shooting so young oh, wow. and then all my tendons and ligaments and all that stuff around my elbow on my left arm had stretched out. So my initial thought was that I was actually going to switch to a wrist strap to kind of like controlled shoot, like not punch, but like squeeze, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. Um, so initially, I like could not get myself to controlled shoot on a on a thumb because I'd learned so many years shooting back tension. It was like really hard. So I was like, I'm going to try it on a on a wrist on a handheld or wrist strap. So I tried that. And one thing that I noticed was that um, my shot timing was a little more consistent. I aimed really good with it, but I would like maybe try to squeeze like two arrows off and then it'd be like 30 arrows later and I would catch myself shooting it back tension style. But it just seemed to flow a little better. So one thing that I realized was when I was shooting the handheld releases, your grip on the release, how tense your fingers are, how tense your hand is drastically changes your shot timing. With the wrist strap, it's simply connected to my wrist. There's no pressure. There's no tension. There's nothing that changes. So I was noticing that under pressure, I could actually just put my finger on the, you know, trigger leave it and pull through and my shot was a little more consistent because I took that inconsistency of all the other Mm -hmm. grip pressure out of the equation um so I did shoot that for six years loved it everyone always says did you command shoot it or did you shoot it back tension I truly shot it back tension if I had to command shoot it let's say in a feed event if it was very windy I could um and I would but I could only get away with that for about 20 arrows and then I would be like flinchy, ginchy, coming off the wall because that's like not how I normally shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, then just recently, so this last January um, in indoor season, my right shoulder <laughs> is kind of uh, injured in a way. I'm kind of working on trying to figure out exactly how at the moment, um, to be honest. And I was got to where I could barely pull my bow back oh, with shoot. the yeah with the wrist strap, and the reason being. I, I know, like, something is pinching in there. And if people go and they look at photos of me shooting with the wrist strap versus the handheld, my back right shoulder is much higher with the wrist strap, with how I anchor than with the handheld. And mm. whatever that is, it was pinching worse. So I literally just was struggling, struggling, picked up the, the handheld and was like, okay, I'm just going to try this. And the pain, like, went away. Really? Well, mostly. And I was like, okay. This is what I'm going to have to do to just get through it. And so I literally switched and then had an awesome indoor season from there on out with the, you know, handheld. And I didn't realize how bad my, sh- my shoulder was actually until I had something that didn't hurt it so much. Um, so I'm currently still shooting that simply because that's what works right now with, with my shoulder. So, you know, um, but I, I do feel like I'm aware of that hand, like the hand inconsistencies that I talked about earlier So I feel like I'm still doing okay. I think I just didn't realize that so much when I was younger, you know? So knowing that, going back into it, it's been pretty okay so far.
0: Yeah, I get questions all the time of like, you know, what's the benefits of this versus that for releases and stuff? And I'm like, man, that's such a loaded question because there's so many like variables and and you hit it perfectly on the head because I've been shooting a hinge for a couple of years now. and and I was shooting a short and sweet for probably 10 years. And then like, I yep. need to, I really need to get in the back tension game. Like I really need to, that's, that's the next step, you know? And, and you probably know the name John Rains. He's a local pro here. Yep. Um, yeah. I know him well. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I kind of went into the shop a little cocky. I'm like, dude, I could shoot circles around all the, you know, other bow hunters at the sh- these shoots and da da And he's like, he's like, Garrett, you shoot good. But he's like, your good versus my good. He's like, or he's like, how's your off days? I'm like, you know, and then he held out like hand, he's like the size of a basketball at 60, 70. Is it this size? Is it smaller? He's like, what's your off days? I'm like, I guess probably like a basketball, like, you know, 70 or 80 would be an off day. And he's like, yeah. see, my off days are about a, uh, chew can at 60 or, you know, or whatever, or, you know, he's yeah. like, that's, that's the difference between sh- punching the trigger and shooting with back tension. I was like, really? Yep. <laughs> he's like, He's like, imagine how much better you could shoot if you actually did it right. And I'm like, ouch. <laughs> What's so, <laughs> so
1: funny, so my whole life growing up, like, we severely, on the target industry, target side, we severely hated on anyone that shot, like, a command-style shot, other than, like, Tim Gillingham, because he can get away with it, whatever, but right. um, we would always be like, oh, you lost to a puncher, like, it was kind of like a negative thing, but now, <laughs> worldwide, there's been so many people come into the scene that are shooting command-style shots that are doing it well. Mm-hmm. Um, Some of that negativity has come, kind of come away. And one thing we'll say about command-style shooters is it's really, really tough to beat them when they're on. But they're also often off. So they have really high highs and really low lows where if you look at the people that consistently shoot back tension, that's – well, I use the word consistent, but that's basically what they are. They're much more consistent in their performances. Um, I would say – if you want a long-term career in archery and you're gonna shoot a lot of arrows, the back tension is the way to go. Because you anybody can probably punch an air, like some arrows for a while. Like I said, I could do 20 to 25 good in a row and be okay. With and the then the wheels figure. just come off. Yeah. Like if I wanted to punch it, I could right. or any of them really for a few arrows and then the wheels just come off the bus. If you're someone that shoots a command style shot and you haven't experienced true target panic yet it will come (laughs) like that's the one negative. It's not just that, Oh, I won't get it. It'll happen. It's just a matter of when not if. So, you know, I always kind of push people to that, like, Hey, at least learn how to shoot back tension. So you understand. And like I said, I'm a firm believer, like in a tournament or in a hunting situation, you do what you have to do to get through it and be successful in that moment. Like I just won the last shoot we went to was called the Buckeye classic. Mm -hmm. It was a feet event, crazy windy. We were all missing the target and dude, I was totally punching hundred (laughs) percent. Is that how I should shoot? How I want to shoot? What I normally tell people to do? Absolutely not. But that's what I had to do to win in that minute, and I did it. Did I come home and go right back to a back tension style shot and work through all that? Of course. So, you know, like I said, there's there's moments that you might need to pull some other tricks out of the bag, but consistently, I I would say, grab a hinge, learn back tension, and it'll like make you so much better in the long run.
0: I I can I know I personally can shoot circles around myself, and and you you said it. Um, wind. <laughs> I'm like, man, if I could, cause if I punch my hinge, it's like way high left and it's yep. like, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm like wondering, I'm like, is that because I'm not shooting with as much back tension as I was? Cause you're You're just not pulling. I'm not pulling through when I punch it like I do when I'm just shooting straight up. and so.
1: One thing you'll notice, and depending on what bow you're using, like mm -hmm. what model bow, what company, and what cam they're using at that time, Mm -hmm. sometimes you can get away with inconsistent pressure against the back wall, and they'll shoot pretty consistent. And other bows, if it's not exactly the same, you'll notice drastic differences. Mm -hmm. And so... If you have a lot more tension on the back wall when you're pulling through versus if you're more static, if you punch, a lot of the times the inconsistency is simply the pressure that you had against the cables or against, you know, on, on that back wall. And so some, some bows will allow you to get away with that more than others, but all of them you'll still notice some difference.
0: So would some bows mean, um, and you fill in the blanks here, uh, a cable stop versus a limb stop?
1: So, if you notice, most target shooters do not shoot limb stops.
0: Do they pull themselves off target, or what's the deal for them?
1: Yeah, so here's my take on it. Um, Again, I know some people have shot them, and they can get away with it, but here's my thought. Ideally, if you're shooting back tension, something has to give, right? And you're obviously building pressure and building tension throughout the bow and your body as you're trying to execute that shot when you shoot cable stops, the cables will always give just a little bit. So I've noticed you can hold your front arm much steadier and you can pull through the cables kind of give as you pull and then the shot will fire. But if you're pulling against the limbs, which are obviously like dead, dead rock solid and you go to pull something has to give something has to move. And usually it's your front arm. It's your sight picture. So your bow is going to move around as you go to pull through. So, I've noticed, like, I like a little bit of give if I'm going to shoot a back tension style shot. If I was somebody who was going to punch the trigger, then a limp stop might not be a bad idea. Um, So it just kind of depends, again, on, like, what style shot you're looking for. But, yeah, I would say, like, from my knowledge, one year... (sighs) elite had a limb stop and a lot of the target archers were not digging it and they were not doing very well with it i think they created next don't quote me again i don't shoot for them but i think it was called the echelon and it had limbs uh cable stops and everyone significantly like jumped just because with how we shoot primarily with our shot styles that's something that's a little bit easier to work with
0: that that really makes sense and i've always heard um, a lot of guys that are saying you know back tension cables because it's like pulling yourself off the shot. That's just the, it seems to be the most, yep. most common reason is, is, and I noticed that when I pull too hard into the back wall, I kind of pull myself out. I think high, right. I don't know if that makes sense, yep. uh, but yep. it just seems like it just falls out high, right. And I'm like, man, I just, you know, so when you start finding these, these inconsistencies, um, and granted I'm only two years into a hinge. Um, so I'm still learning and stuff, but, um, like, like I struggled with anchoring for like the first couple months. And <laughs> yeah. man, it's different. oh dude, it is, uh, it's, um, I straight up, I shot it on my Aki bow cause I was too big of a chicken shit to actually shoot my bow with it. Cause I'm like, I'm going to launch arrows with this thing if I don't figure it out. <laughs> and then, so yep. I, I used my Aki bow for probably 200 shots and I got comfortable where it wasn't, um, uh, basically going off the hinge. It wasn't going off yeah. when I was drawing. And then I, I've actually never punched myself in the tooth and thank God it's a HBC. So it probably knock one out, but (laughs) yes,
1: (laughs) yes, it would. (laughs) um,
0: So go ahead. And if you, if you can, um, you, you are big into the hunting as well. Um, I can't believe, like we said earlier off the podcast, I can't believe we were able to make this thing happen because I'm in between hunts. You're getting ready to go on a hunt, right?
1: Yeah. I actually was just hunting this weekend. Um, so it's California deer season opens like, well, a couple weeks ago. So this was actually our last week into bow season. So our bow season is now done. Um, so I've been archery hunting here in California. I did harvest one buck um, already. I had one more tag, but that tag actually rolls into rifle season. So All right I'll still be able to hunt later. And then, yeah, I leave in two weeks for a whitetail hunt in Wisconsin. Uh, it's an archery hunt, but it is high fence, which I've never done. Mm -hmm. Well, I've hunted Africa, but that's a whole different explanation story, but I've never done anything like that in the States. Um, so I have no idea what to expect. I just (laughs) bought it at a dinner here earlier in the year and was like, you know what? Yeah. Like that's easier with our crazy schedule. It's so hard to try and go hunt and like scouts like we can go out places you know before season starts because we're always on the road so i was like you know what i'll just buy it it's for a good cause we'll give it a try so yeah it's gonna be weird but i'm excited just to kind of see how it goes you
0: know it's i i you know i think you and i are pretty probably pretty similar here so it'll be weird i mean everybody likes to trash on high fenced hunts but i'm like you know i probably shouldn't trash on too hard until i've actually done it you know because i'm like maybe it's, maybe (laughs) it's harder than i think maybe it's not you know like and um uh, you know, same thing with hunting like a tree stand over bait and stuff. I did that for the first time and I'm like, actually, it's not that bad. It's, you know, yeah. it's So,
1: it's, yeah. Just so people know, like here in California, we can't bait anything. So I've like never hunted over bait. Um, like, so really as far as like tree stand hunting or ground blind hunting, like you have to put some work in if you're going to do that because you obviously can't just bait them to where you want them to go. Uh-huh. Um, And I don't usually hunt uh, private land. So, like, growing up, we've always just hunted do-it-yourself, public land, like, go out there and hunt your butt off kind of stuff. Um, Same thing out of state. Like, we would just go out and, like, hit it hard and never quit, all public land, you know, stuff like that. So, again, this is kind of weird. My first experience of that was Africa. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. It doesn't really sound that cool, dude. I got there and it's probably been my favorite hunt to date. Like I fell in love with the people and the place and the animals and the whole like atmosphere hmm. and the ranches that we were hunting. I think the smallest one that we hunted was like 3,500 acres. And one of the larger ones was a hundred thousand acres. So yeah. it wasn't like, you're going out and just shooting an animal in a pen. Like when it ran away, it was gone. It was like actual hunting. <laughs> right. But the way they explained it was they don't really have the fences to keep the animals in, the, the fences are to keep the poachers out. Yep. Where obviously here in the U.S., that's not the story. Like it's a high fence for, for the high fence purpose. But um, yeah, over there, it was very different. So I think that opened my eyes a little bit, um, made me a little bit more kind of understanding because I would have fallen on the side of probably hating on it prior prior to 100%. that experience. Yeah. So here's my thought. When that kind of came up at the dinner, it was a good prize. You know, we were all having a good time, had a few drinks and it was like, you know what? <laughs> I didn't think Africa would be that cool. And it ended up being really cool. I've never done this. I don't really understand how it works. So I'm just going to kind of bid on this and like give it, give it a try. I ended up winning it and was like, you know what? I'm just going to go into it with an open mind give it a go if i love it cool if i don't i never have to do it again so right. i figured I, I don't really know what to expect but i am kind of looking forward to it just <laughs> to kind of answer those questions that you know i have about the whole experience so we'll see
0: what, what part of africa did you go to
1: south africa okay. uh we were in limpopo
0: northern south africa <laughs>
1: yeah with uh african barefoot safaris and they're like really big into archery and the whole thing and then um so that his name is Rion, who owns that outfit. And then Reg actually owns Archer's Edge in South Africa, which is like the big archery shop there. So it was kind of cool because I knew those guys through the archery industry a little bit. And I actually went over there with the president of NFAA at the time, well, awesome. uh, Bruce Cole, and we shot together. So we're together. So it was it was a pretty cool experience overall. Like everyone was awesome.
0: That's awesome. My uh, wife and I, a couple years ago, went over to Namibia and oh, the same crazy. thing man we uh we bought one at a auction like a uh, OHA Oregon Hunters Association auction um and we got it for 500 bucks <laughs> oh my god yeah. okay that's yeah. crazy cheap so you. i was like oh man you know like i don't have that cash i'm like i'll just toss up 500 bucks and then no one else bid and I was like what i <laughs> yeah, either bought a turd or i got a super good deal <laughs> <laughs> so
1: how was how was it
0: it was good it was um it was different i mean i i didn't know he wasn't huge into bow hunting. We'll put it that way. Okay. So the, you know, I, I told him, um, you know, next animal I shoot's going to be with a bow or else I'm not filling any, any of my other tags. And, uh, he's like, well, you better be okay with eating your tags. I'm like, I i am totally fine with eating my tags. I'm like, and then we came up to an agreement. I'm like, all right, I'll shoot one off the freaking hood. Uh, if you promise that we will spot and stock something here, uh, before I leave. And so I shot a red hearted beast and a spring buck pretty much from the truck one off the truck I'm like okay awesome that's super hard <laughs> yeah. yeah you're like so yeah. fun and then, now, um, let's go hunt yeah yeah exactly and then so uh basically we had a blue wildebeest um that I'm like I didn't even care uh, a thought in the world and then I kept seeing them and then I watched them and and just how they acted and, and I'm like man that's a really cool animal man like just they'd snort at you and then they'd, they'd kick up their feet and their tail it's just really cool yeah beautiful, beautiful did you get to
1: see the worms in their nasal cavity at all
0: um, I didn't look. I didn't look. um they I, I watched looked. It. I wanted to Did see you? It was
1: so cool. yeah, they're like a giant worm, like like the fattest little caterpillar you've yeah. ever seen.
0: Yeah, it was pretty
1: I, interesting. I watched
0: them cape it out and everything, and i like I, they wouldn't let me help. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's basically. part of it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, man, you know, and so I gave him like a, i gave him a bunch of stuff. I gave them like an outdoor edge and then, um, they had this like rock they were using to sharpen their knives on and everything. And,
1: oh my gosh. Um, okay. Yeah. Just to clarify, like the place that I went was like, they pretty much, they mainly only do archery. They're like totally set up for archery. They have blinds ready for archery. Like mm. they totally get it. They have complete knowledge of like all your bows, your arrows. Like just to explain too like I said, the archery shop owner and then the African barefoot safaris owner are all mm-hmm. friends. Like when I got there, my bow didn't show up. And I walked into Archer's Edge and, and I was like, okay, I need a new setup. And he goes, well, what did you have? And they literally had everything that I was using before. The only thing that was different was my release hmm. and um, completely set me up. And I'm like, all right, what do I owe you? He's like, nothing. Go have a good hunt. What? I'm like, what? Like literally the nicest people ever. My bow showed up like three and a half days later and he ended up coming up. We had like <laughs> dinner. I gave him all the stuff back that I borrowed And then I went in, like, the day before we left, and some guy ended up buying it all, which was really cool. made me feel really, really good because I felt, like, horrible for not paying him for the stuff that I was using. Did you sign
0: it and be like, oh, yeah, this will increase the value? (laughs) Yeah, I did, actually. Oh, perfect. (laughs) But um,
1: Yeah, but, I mean, overall, like, they truly knew their stuff for archery and were set up for archery. Mm -hmm. So, I had an awesome experience just because they they got it. Um, I would have... I would have not been as happy hearing, <laughs> hearing what you went through, but the, the people I went with, like I said, it was such a great outfit and it was a really cool experience. So yeah. I was going to go back in May, this May. When, and, when did you, uh, go? you know, I went, let's see, October, 2018. Okay. And then I was going back this May and then COVID, you know, kind of put a yeah. damper on that. So, so we heard to a that.
0: saying, um, once you go, um, so our trip cost around, you know, around after everything was said and done tax and and everything i think it was like 10 grand and, oh. and <laughs> that's not uh, too bad actually that's not too I went bad. Nuts. that's not too bad so we um we only got three animals with our package and then i ended up adding a couple on to it but um which is how they get you but so yep. they said you know this won't cost you 10 grand this hunt will cost you a hundred thousand dollars i'm like oh yeah How's Cause that? Gonna he's like, because you're going to come back again and again and again. I'm like, well, I won't, I'm not coming back here. But yeah, I'll probably come back. So,
1: <laughs> yep. But, I went over there with the intention of shooting. Like I had a list of like four animals. And then like I was like, oh, if I splurge, maybe I'll shoot this fifth yeah. one. Had You yeah, know, like, I came home night. with <laughs> I came home with like 12. Did you? <laughs> I was like,
0: oh, I did. I
1: went insane. And I mounted everything. Oh, so man. let me just tell you, my trip cost a little more than yours. Yeah.
0: Did you, <laughs> like, you mount oh, them over there or over here? here?
1: Uh, I mounted them over there Smart. with um, a Highveld Taxidermy. Uh, they're actually super legit. You can look them up on Instagram and stuff, but they do some crazy cool custom mounts. They have like everything in shop you can look at. They're, I think, the second biggest taxidermist in the world. Um, and they're located right there in South Africa. And so hmm. I had people tell me like horror stories of mounting stuff over there, but I went there and looked. The guy, the NFAA guy, Bruce, had had his stuff mounted there before. Again, the guys at Barefoot Safaris had their stuff mounted there. So did Red from Archer's Edge. And I was just like, all right, you guys all trust these people. And I like how all your mounts look. So I'm going right. to go for it. But I still haven't got mine back. They were literally getting ready to ship. Um, and then COVID hit. And so uh. California just passed some new stupid law that like you can't have like a, this list of animals. And I right. have two of the animals on the list. So... Come January 1st, I, like, needed to have them here. So I was, like, frantically trying to figure out how to get them here. So we actually just booked them on a boat, and they're going to ship them over by boat. Yep. And they should make it here in December and be here before January. Because if you don't, and they catch you with them, yeah, it's like a $40,000 fine per animal. Yeah.
0: So go you California. you shoot, like, a springer or something?
1: <laughs> no, zebras. <laughs> oh, okay. Zebras are on the list. I oh, shot okay. two zebras, so I'm like... Yeah, I never wanted
0: it. to shoot a zebra in my life until I went over there and I'm like, those bastards ruined like seven of my stocks. Like, dude, I was they, so pissed.
1: They were, we were, were one of the hardest things to hunt. And what's funny is oh. I wanted Gems buck and zebra. Mm-hmm. And those were like the two things that kept eluding us. And then like everything else came in and I'd be like, well, that animal's cool. And then shoot it. And yeah. then, like, <laughs> I'd be waiting for one of those two and something else to come in and I'd do the same thing. So Finally, I ended up actually coming home, two Gemsbuck, a male and a female, and then two Zebras. So I was, oh, awesome. I was like, yeah, it worked out. But at the very beginning, I was like, man, we're never going to get one of these things. Like, this is crazy.
0: Oh, man. Well, it seems like every region has its own, like, if you want to go kill a blue, like, where I went is super, like, the genetics are really good. Um, the one I got, it would be like hundred 170, 180-inch whitetail, like, comparison. Awesome. Like a, it's a big one, but... Um, there was bigger in the herd. Um, but that was just the first one that gave us a shot and he's like, shoot that one. Yeah. And, um, but if you go to like different areas, like where you went, um, you know, it'd be better for, for different species. But apparently I was in like the blue wildebeest Mecca and I was like, oh, gotcha. and then it Yeah, sucked we, I saw so
1: many blue wildebeest. Like that's the one thing that I tell everyone. If you're going to go to Africa and that's not on your list, you might as well like budget it in there because you're going to shoot one. Yeah,
0: it's affordable. Uh, yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and here's one thing, like you said, you had like the package deal and you added the animals. The Mm -hmm. one cool thing about where I went, they didn't do the whole package deal. They didn't like extra charge you for extra animals. They literally just had a price list per animal. And it was like, you knew exactly what everything cost. There was no BS, like no crooked kind of wheeling and dealing. It was like, okay, cool. This walks in. This is the list. This is exactly how much it is. And you shoot it. So I liked that because I didn't have to stipulate well, these are my four or five animals and then like, right. you know, be in the blind trying to figure out if I wanted to add one. It was just, I, I knew everything up front. I could shoot whatever I wanted and I thought that was really cool. So I did have the opportunity to go to Africa with a different outfit or a different guide with a group of target archers that went over. Mm-hmm. But it was a whole like, package thing and i called the guy and i'm like look i don't want a package i've already went there i want to shoot whatever i want to shoot like can we just work that out to where you give me a price for all the animals and they wouldn't do it and i was like then i'm not going so you know it kind of spoiled me i think just because i really liked how we went about that um so now i don't want to go to somewhere where i feel like i'm (laughs) limited to just a couple things so
0: well most i think most places are the package they are um and i think it's just because it it
1: secures them you know a set amount of money guaranteed and then they can add from there so i understand it but and i guess like they don't know that everyone's going to go there and actually shoot a lot of animals you know they don't want to tell someone and they haven't passed and they shoot two animals and they just spent 10 days with them like that would suck for their outfit oh
0: right right i'm
1: not that person (laughs) (laughs) so (laughs) i just could not contain myself that's
0: funny so let's go ahead and talk about, um, setups and stuff. So what are you using? And, um, give me the breakdown, arrow, bow and all that stuff. Broadhead. Okay.
1: So we'll, I'll just start with arrows. Um, cause we were, we were already talking about that before. So I'm shooting the black Eagle rampages currently. Mm-hmm. Um, basically I switched to black Eagle this last season. And when I was trying to figure out what hunting arrows I wanted, Previously, when I shot for a different company, I had like a really, really lightweight arrow that I shot here in California um, and like in the you know states for like deer and, and antelope and things like that. And then I had a heavier arrow that I had built for when I went to Africa. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of looked at all the black eagles and did the math and just kind of calculated out like what my total arrow weight would be. And I was shooting before an arrow that was like, 325 grains was my light arrow, and my heavy one was like 4... Ooh, okay, off the top of my head. It was like 430 <laughs> or something like that. Is right that now, with, these, with tip
0: weight, or is that... Yep, okay. yeah,
1: everything together. And then the ones I'm shooting right now are 378 grains total. So, um, you know, that's kind of where I wanted to be. I wanted somewhere in the middle. I didn't want to have to constantly switch arrows. So, like, I shot an elk with those crazy light arrows before, the uh-huh. 320 grain, which... Again, ideally, eh, probably not, but I shot clean through the thing. So it was fine. Um, again, I feel like shot placement is obviously important with archery. And if mm-hmm. you're not shooting a heavy arrow, it's even more important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so, you know, I was pretty confident I could hit it where I needed to. And I, and I did. It was fine. <laughs> but with these, I was like, all right, cool. I can still get the speed and the distance I need for like blacktail and antelope. But I can also have a little bit more weight. You know, so I can go shoot an elk or I could go to Africa with this setup and I would be confident. So mm-hmm. um, I'm shooting the rampages. My broadheads, I'm shooting hundred grain slick trick Viper tricks.
2: Okay.
1: Um, I've shot a lot of broadheads over the years. And one thing I found, here's a difference for women versus men. But a lot of the times women are like right on the cusp of just having enough energy or not. And so, for example, I was shooting like way back in the day when I was like, I don't know, 12. I shot like a fixed blade Thunderhead, like the old school, you know, that everybody had. My dad had like a laying around and it was fine. I got great penetration. I shot clean through most all the deer I shot here. Like everything was good. And then he's like, Hey, we want to switch you to the expandable. And it was the three blade (laughs) fold back. Uh And I shot a deer. I actually recovered it. I, I mounted it. It's actually sitting above me right now. But I shot it at 20 yards out of a tree stand, and normally I was shooting like way farther distances. And I only went maybe three quarters of the way through the deer; like my arrow didn't even poke out the back. Mm-hmm. And I was like mortified because it was like a great shot, super close, and a big buck for California. And so, like one thing I learned was I was pretty much on the edge of like I had enough energy with a, with a cut on impact broadhead, but I did not with you know those fold backs. So I've actually been a little hesitant since then, um, shooting expandables. Also, you can use them here in California, but like Oregon, Idaho and different states, you can't. So I choose to just shoot a fixed blade. So that way I don't, again, have to change my setup often to go hunt different states. I can just use the same setup. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that. For veins, I'm shooting the AE hybrid um, 26s. They've been really good. They did a lot of testing on them. And, you know, they do a really extensive job on that. They're quiet. They're, you know. Just more stabilizing than I need. And I'm actually using, it's an Easton X-Knock in those arrows. And then one thing we talked a little bit about front of center or FOC. Mm -hmm. Um, I am not someone that sits there and like calculates out my foc i haven't and i don't really care but one thing i will say on these arrows it does give me a little bit more front of center than if i was using just a standard like traditional arrow because this is a little bit smaller diameter Mm -hmm. shaft Mm -hmm. so i do have an outsert that's about like i think 50 grains off the top of my head so it's actually giving me a little bit more front of center than if i used a standard size like a two four six or whatever diameter arrow Mm -hmm. um But honestly, like I said, I sit and I calculate out like my mass weight more than anything because I know, okay, I'm either using a hundred grain broadhead with or without the outsert. And for the last four years, I've had the outsert, which is more front of center than I'd ever shot in the past. So it's been fine. Um, The one time I changed up my, my setup, I just went to Australia in October and we hunted water buffalo. And for that, I like. Totally changed it up. I had an outsert, but I also used like a 200 grain broadhead (laughs) and we got them to fly fine. Like they were okay. It was a two blade, but I was not a fan. And honestly, I think I had too much weight up front for my arrows. Like um, I wasn't shooting Black Eagle at the time. I was shooting a different company and they were a little weak. And I noticed like even shooting some of his 3D targets, I would like shoot and the arrow would literally like disintegrate because of the front weight on the arrow. And so what was hard is like the people we went with or, you know, the, you have to shoot this. and You have to have this heavy of an arrow. and You have to have this much weight up front. But again, what they don't consider is someone at my poundage and my draw length, I might be shooting a 500 spine arrow where they're shooting like a 300 spine arrow. So the arrow durability is going to be drastically different. So I think a lot of that needs to be thought through as well. And again, it's different for like women or people with shorter drawings and lighter poundage, because the weight you can run up front may, may not be as much as as some other people with higher drawings and longer or higher poundage and longer drawings. So that was kind of like the one time I was not happy with my setup. So like I said, (laughs) I kind of put a little effort into having like a one arrow fits all kind of thing. Yeah. Um, then let's see. So what is I'm your hunting. Draw I'm and, your,
0: um, and your wh- what's your draw specs and stuff?
1: So my draw length is 27 and a half, um, which for a girl that's is not short. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, it's it's not bad. Like I know a lot of men that have the same draw length. Yeah, like and then I, yeah, and then I hunt um, right around 60 pounds. So
0: which is better than most like, females too?
1: Yeah, um, when I started hunting, like they've always called me a sissy, and I like could not pull very much weight. Um, went finally when I switched to Bowtech and they came out with the Realm series. Mm-hmm. Like the cams pulled so smooth that I was literally hunting this 52 pounds before that. And I set the bow up at 60, and it felt like my previous bows at like 52. So, like the newer technology definitely made it a little bit easier on the poundage. Oh, yeah. Um, and one thing for me too, like I have to consider shooting as my job. And I've seen a lot of people like go a little overboard on their hunting setups and they might hurt their shoulder, but they're like, yeah, who cares? Like it's another year till archery season rolls around. Well, for me, I shoot nonstop all year long. So I could pull more poundage, but I'm hesitant to because I don't want to injure that shoulder um, just to shoot a couple hunting arrows. And like I said, if your shot placement is good, you really don't need that much poundage. It's like when you make a poor shot that you know, the arrow weight and the kinetic energy and, like, all that stuff is going to come into play. But usually if you shoot an animal where you're supposed to, like, I shot deer and killed them for quite a few years here with, like, 38 pounds. That's no yeah. bullshit.
2: Yeah. Um, I believe it. And it was
1: fine. <laughs> so, you know, I know there's people that are like, oh, I wouldn't hunt. They want 80-pound limbs and, like, all this stuff. But honestly, like, I'm not a believer in that. Like, if you're decent shot, you don't, you don't need that, honestly.
0: Well, I mean, I've gotten um... – you know, pass-throughs at extended ranges with back when I was shooting like, gosh, 240 feet per second with like a 400, like 15 grain (laughs) arrow, 410 grain arrow. And I'm getting pass-throughs at deer at like 70 something yards. It's like, man, like, and it's sticking in the ground. Like I'm like, how much, how much do I really need? You know, like (laughs) I've, granted I've never, I've been lucky enough to never, um, shoulder shoot an animal, but I, I did shoot through the hip one time on a black tail and I went right through the hip into yep. the uh, opposite shoulder and and um that was with a four blade tooth of the arrow with like a mm-hmm. 458 grain arrow and and I'm like man you know like okay so that was definitely enough too I'm like so and last year I was a little heavier than I wanted I was 535 and then I backed it down to about am oh, four, wow. f- I'm, I'm like 480 right now um which seems to be happy medium for me yep um you know, it's, it's not heavy arrow, it's not light. It's, and I did a big poll one time and it just seems like most people, like most people, I'm going to say 50% of people aren't really caring because the average weight is between, I did, ah, there must've been a thousand people that took the poll, but it was like the most common weights were 400 and, um, 400 to 450 grains was like, I think 50 something percent of all arrow setups. And that was on an elk hunting page. <clears throat> and yep. I'm like, holy crap. Okay, so that's just basically a standard arrow with a standard insert of whatever kind in a 100-grain broadhead. Like that's just what people are using, and they're finding success with it. So, um, yep. you know. yeah. It's- yeah. Uh,
1: so, I mean, I will say like I, when I was younger, I don't even know how old, 12, 14, like whatever, when I was shooting back, my 42 pounds probably, I shot a black tail in the shoulder. And literally, I don't like my broadhead like hit it, and it like fell out. I don't even think it hurt the deer It went in about an inch hit the shoulder blade and just like fell out. And I was like, well, that sucked, you know? Uh-huh. And, uh, for my dad was like, yeah, if I had done that, I would have crushed it, you know, but right. you're suiting a little sissy poundage. So <laughs> I totally understand that in instances like that at the time I was like, gosh, I wish I, you know, had mm-hmm. more poundage and I wish I had more air weight and all that stuff. But, you know, as I've gotten, like I said, older and with the fear of injuring my shoulder and like all that stuff, it's like, I kind of go toward a, a balanced overall setup if that makes sense you know that ba- balanced arrow weight with the draw weight that I can pull and kind of work the two together to put me basically I'm only shooting I have um, a new sight this year so I'm shooting the Excel um, AccuTouch Carbon Pro hmm. so it's really neat uh, I only have five pins in there so 20 to 60 but then I have a sight tape on my bow that I can roll down I can clear to 90 and my 60 pin becomes like a floater so I can roll Perfect. down and shoot farther. Yeah. Um, but before I had the rolling sight, I wanted to at least get like six to seven pins in my bow. And I couldn't. If I had like a heavier arrow weight, you know, at the poundage and draw length that I had, I could only get pins that would fit in the scope housings out to like 60. Then Excel made like a special two inch housing. So I used that for quite a few years and I could actually fit all the seven pins in there um, and I loved it so I actually just switched from that one finally to their new one so hmm. I've had good luck with it so far I haven't had to shoot anything and roll the sight the one blacktail I shot this year I actually shot at 35 which is like super close for a blacktail. tail oh, yeah. <laughs> that normally doesn't happen so that was kind of cool um, but yeah I mean I've been working with it at home and one thing that I really like is like gapping pins and stuff I can do it fine. Like, we, you know, looking at the pin 60 and in, if it's 54, 55, like, you know, whatever. I'm confident. But when you start getting at those farther distances, that's where, like, being exact is way more critical. So I like that if I range a deer at, like, 78, I can literally spin my sight to 78 because I have a target sight tape on it. So there's, mm-hmm. you know, marks at every yardage. I'm not out there, like, penciling them in. Um, I print them off Archer's Advantage. So, it's nice because I can literally go like seventy eight, put my sixty pin dead on it, knowing it's seventy eight, and shoot it. So I kind of like it because it gives me a little bit more confidence in those longer shots. Yeah. That, you know, I'm set exactly at the right distance, and I'm not going to miss miss gap my pins just a little bit, you know, and have that be the oh yeah the plus or minus that gets the job done. So yeah, my, it's pretty cool.
0: My setup's pretty simple. I use a three pin fast ADXL, XL, uh, and so I I can. I'm good with three pins out to 60 without even dialing. I always dial, but I could shoot out to 60 without even so dialing. What
1: are your three pins set at? If so, you only have three.
0: Yeah. So right now, uh, 20, 35 and 51, 50 somewhere <laughs> in there. And, uh, <laughs>
1: that's so nuts to me. Okay. That's crazy.
0: <laughs> but I, that's I cool. always, you think make it
1: work. My brain would freak out though. <laughs> oh man. Like
0: I, I, practice all the time. Like, you know, basically it's like on at 20 and then you shoot for the middle for 30. You, you basically shoot right in the middle of the first two pins for 30 And then it's at 35, so you shoot like three or four inches high at 40. And then it's just, it's just, it's actually pretty easy. It's pretty slick. And then...
1: Well, my brother was saying that. Like, I went blacktail hunting with him the other day, and he was like, dude, if they're like 50 and in, I almost don't need to range them. Like, I was looking at his pins, and they're like so close, because I was like, okay, I had ranged some stuff, and I was like, okay, this is this far, and this is this far, and He's like, dude, honestly, like, all my pins are going to be in their vitals it, from, like, you know, oh it was, like, gosh. 35 and in. Where for me, yeah. when I shot that deer at 35, like, my 30 was on his back and my 40 was on his belly. So if i was off a little bit like it is a huge difference when you have oh, yeah. a slower like a slower setup or you know you don't have the speed that some of the guys do my dad usually gets his hunting setups like i don't know if he's ever had one under 290 i feel like most of them are over 300 foot per second oh. <laughs> and then here i am at probably like you know like you said like 240 250 like yeah. maybe 260 at my best day like pretty slow so you know, like I said, it, I have to be a little more cautious. Like I always range everything. Like I'm super careful when I'm like gapping pins and doing all that stuff because my bow's slower. I can't get away with. There's not much room for error. Right. Honestly. Well,
0: I I am excited to have you on because I wanted to talk about arrow setups for for women especially because I set up two friends. I gave them ideas and they kind of actually followed the ideas a little bit. And um, you know, I said basically you're starting off with a bow that's not even near capable is, is 99% of the guys bows out there. Like you're just, you're just not, yep. you know, you have a 26 inch draw, you're, you're shooting 50 to 55 pounds. Um, we almost need to treat you like a trad shooter. Like you're, you're in that area between trad shooting and compound shooting. Like you're just, yeah. you know, so <laughs> I, I, am like, so I suggested, um, it's a, it's a, it's about where, where your heavier setup is. I 420 to 430 something grains somewhere in there. I found out how far they were comfortable shooting, which was about 40 yards Um, get an animal and I'm like well if you're only gonna be shooting 40 yards and we can bump up your heaviness anyways because
1: if I was only shooting 40 yards and I knew that Mm -hmm. I would totally shoot a heavier setup yeah like for sure let me just throw that out there but I I don't I do shoot farther so yeah that's why I kind of you know had to lighten her up a bit
0: well yeah and and so what um so I basically I'm just you know I'm going sharp cut on contact head um kind of like a traditional style head with maybe with for sure bleeders on there so like uh kind of like a iron wheel or a day six head or yep. a um i wouldn't use this one but like a stinger kind of thing kind of that yeah. that, that kind of style that was
1: one of my first broadheads was like the magnus stinger <laughs> back in the day that's what i first hunted with like, those the have killed
0: so off. many animals it's not even funny <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh, i um, i i like these so again like this is just like a personal preference thing but my Mm -hmm. dad has always like personally hated on two blades which is funny because so many people hunt with two blades now i feel like it's kind of a fad it's Um, it's
0: the the single bevel is definitely a fad
1: yes so that's what i was using when i went to australia and we hunted water buffalo but for here um he was always like no use a three blade or a four blade blah 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 like you don't want the hole to fill and like his whole thing he's like if you shoot a bear there's so much fat like it's really easy for a slit to like not bleed where a hole will usually continuously bleed. So I'm like, all right. So basically I ended up choosing, I've shot, like I said, a bunch of different ones. I've shot Montex. I've shot Stingers. I've shot the Thunderheads. I've shot Rage. I'm using different slick tricks and I ended up landing on the Viper tricks. But I mean, um, I've used a bunch of different broadheads over the years, but I really like these because they're more of a standard two blade with a bleeder blade so I'm not shooting a true floor blade, but I'm not shooting a true two blade either. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like it was kind of the best mix of both worlds. My first test on these was in Africa in 18 and like everything like died there really good and really quick. And like they even said it was interesting. They're like, yeah, a lot of the archery hunters, it doesn't work like that. You know, we're having to go help them out and that kind of thing. And I was like, dude, <laughs> really? Like, I, I don't, yeah. I don't like that. That's like not for me. Um, And so, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. Like everything that I shot, it worked well. And obviously, who gets to go and test their broadheads out on 12 animals in a week? No like, joke. So I felt like, you know, from small to big, like I shot uh, small stuff like Impala and um, Spring Buck and some stuff like that. But then I also shot like a Sable and a Kudu and a Water Buck. Oh, you so shot, I a shot Sable? from?
2: Sable? Oh.
1: Yeah, I, I went nuts. That's I on told my you. list. Kudu and Sable. <laughs> That was the first animal I, uh, second animal I saw, that and was I was probably your most expensive animal
0: you shot too. <laughs>
1: it it was yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um. But it was it was a really it was neat overall. But They're like gorgeous. I said, I got to test yeah. that setup, and I was like really happy with it. And I was like, dang, if they can do do good on small all the way to big here, then I'm confident using that on anything in the states. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I feel like I should have just used that same setup when I went to Australia. <laughs> um, I think it would have been perfectly fine. Honestly, I do. So, I,
0: yeah, yeah, I you know, mean,
1: my dad for falling for like the crazy. Oh my gosh, it has to be so heavy and it has to be this. It has to be like, I really don't think it needed to be. I think I would have been fine where I was. Honestly, I think I'd have been better off.
0: I, I think that you know, the slick tricks, um, and the viper tricks are right there with them. And in the Exodus, or yeah, I've seen a bunch of forums on elk hunting and stuff, and it seems like the slick tricks are always towards the top, you know,
1: yeah, for elk hunters. I, I chose the Viper Tricks. Um, they're an inch and a 16th cutting diameter. Mm-hmm. I had shot inch broadheads, inch cutting diameter prior, so they were a little bit bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I liked that the blade angle was also um, not so sharp and so steep. I'm trying to think of the name, but my parents also use a Slick Trick, but it's a different one. It's not the Viper Tricks. It's a little bit wider cut, but the blades are like pretty close to straight like Mm. it's weird like you hit and and the blades are really wide where mine are more like angled so I feel like I would get a little bit better like penetration kind of thing you know it wasn't just like everything to like flat Mm -hmm. so I kind of looked at everything like that when I was choosing them and I'm like okay like I like the way these are shaped a little bit better I like their on impact like I like all that stuff so that's kind of how I landed there but For women and even for men, like one, such a quick, easy thing that I could do. Once I knew what broadhead I was going to use, I knew what knock I was going to use and what veins I was going to use. Throw the combination on the scale and whatever weight you get, like let's say 100-grain broadhead, 50-grain outsert, or or I didn't even know that yet. 100-grain broadhead, you know, throw the veins on there and the knock and you get your weight. Then what I did is I basically went, measured my old hunting arrows, knew exactly how long they were going to be. And then I just went to Black Eagle's website and I looked at my different options and then I calculated out what that arrow would be. So like the X impacts would be a really great, like small diameter hunting arrow, um, but they're very, very light. So if you wanted a super light setup, I calculated it out and it would be pretty close to that. Like I said, that 320, 330, like really lightweight setup. yeah. Then yeah, crazy light. And then I looked and I was like, okay, they have the deep impacts, which are a heavier option. And I looked at the carnivores and then I looked and I liked the rampages. They weren't like super small, but they weren't the two four six diameter and they were the middle of the roads, grain print. Like some of them were down by six. Some of them were up by eight. And I think these were seven again, this is all off the top of my head, but like roughly. And I was like, you know, I kind of like that. They're, they're in the middle. They're in the middle size wise too. They're not super small, like the X impacts, but they're not a two four six diameter. Like they're kind of where I want to be. And so I just sat and I calculated out with each arrow off the website, like where that would put me. And, calculated all out and that's how I ended up with these and so hmm. far they've been really durable have um, you noticed
0: cool. any durability issues with having like a thinner walled arrow because that's one of the biggest complaints I've heard about <gasps> black eagle um so
1: compared to I guess I'll just say it I shot carbon express prior and <laughs> and I shot their um maxima blue Streak selects and mm-hmm. they had a crazy thin wall and they broke on me all the time yeah Um, that's what I was shooting. I actually, I was shooting the, um, Maxima red SDs when Mm -hmm. I went to Africa and they were okay there, but those are the ones that I was having an issue with them, like disintegrating when I was in Australia Mm -hmm. with the 200 grain broadhead and stuff where with the rampages, like instantly right off the bat, I'm like, Oh my gosh, these are 10 times more durable than the arrows that I had before, which is nice. Like I haven't broke a hunting arrow yet. I've shot turkeys and, deer and everything else granted i'm shooting like all the way through everything so it's not like left in the animal for them to break it but um i've had super good luck with them
0: so are you using the uh, the focus with those um or using any sort of um outsert system with with your current arrows
1: yeah so it's just the one that they come with from black eagle okay, um, okay so it's nice it just i i hot melt mine in i don't gloom in but um hot melt them in and then the broadhead just screws right into that but yeah. i they're they're good they're flush with you know flush with the arrow which is nice um they don't like tuck in or out these are just flush um I've had ones that, like you know you have stuff tuck up inside or like the the outer (sighs) will tuck over the shaft like I know there's so many different options of stuff out there but I was like I'm just gonna trust the ones that Black Eagle has and so far they've been good I haven't like bent any or anything crazy because that was one thing that like Tate was saying you know be careful, you know, you know, the outsource, blah, 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 they've been and whatnot. And they've, they've been great. So, so far so good.
0: Yeah. I, I really do like the, uh, the focus system they have there. I mean, it's been a pretty good component system and especially, you know, it's, I think it's a step up from what Easton has for the hits and stuff. It just, yep. um, it, it's a, it's a, it's a better system than a lot of what the um, other companies have out there right now from, from the, just from manufacturer standpoint. So, um, yep. you know, I, I was like, I, I've got a couple rampages upstairs. I, I think they're uh Like three hundred spine or something like that. I forget what they are, but they're good. So mine are good. Mine are
1: only five hundred spine. So again, it's so difficult (laughs) when you talk about weight. Yeah. When you start looking at that, or no, actually I lied. I got four hundreds. Sorry. Okay. Okay. My head, but um, yeah, I turned my poundage up, so I I went with the fours. But looking at that, like it's hard when you know you look at like the spine that I get and how much they weigh grain sprint versus the guys. They can have the same arrow and instantly their setup's going to be quite a bit heavier than like a woman's if you're getting a lighter spine arrow or a weaker spine arrow. So
0: for sure. So yeah. tell me about um, your arrow priorities when it comes to hunting versus your target setup, because I I'd really like to get your uh, perspective here um, for folks that are probably maybe thinking, you know, what FOC, am I overthinking it? Um, you know, so, what's really important for accuracy and um, in, in bringing bringing in the perspective from a from a world class target shooter?
1: Yeah. So I'm just going to start off again with the answer that you would never expect, but I never sit and calculate my FOC Um, (laughs) for for target arrows. No, heck no, especially not for competition. If I was going to do it, I'd do it for hunting long before I did it for tournaments. Um, So basically, here's how I look at it. Whenever we're shooting competitions, I'm always using like a micro diameter arrow, regardless of what company I've shot for Easton, I've shot for Carbon Express. I've shot for Black Eagle. So currently I'm (laughs) shooting the revelations. I've shot the Nano Pros and I've shot the X-10s. On all of those arrows, my personal choice would be 120 grain tip. We don't obviously use outsourts or anything. Their size, the tip goes right in. So that's all that's up front. And that would be considered like a heavier front weight. Some guys like Gillingham, Long Drawling, some stuff like that, they shoot 140 up front. Um, But not many people choose to do that. Most all of us shoot 120. So... It's kind of one of those things where it's not even a question. That's just what you do because that's what there is and that's what works. And I did use 100 grain and 110 before. Carbon Express didn't make 120s for the um, spine I was shooting at the time. But, and, I wanted a little bit more just because I noticed shooting Sheeta. I felt like I drifted a little bit more in the wind conditions, shooting like the 100 grain tip versus the 120 grain tip. Mm The 120 kind of puts me where I want to be and what I'm used to as far as wind drift, but it's not so heavy that it's like slowing me down to where I'm also then hurt, you know, from the other side of that. So um, for that, it's easy. And like I said, so for me, I kind of just carry that same thought process over to hunting. It's like, okay, I'm going to use a 100 grain broadhead with or with if, with or without the outsert. Um, like I said, the last years I've been choosing to use that. So it's not something that I really put a lot of thought into. Like I said, um, if your stuff is set up good enough and you're good enough, so many of those minor details don't matter. Um, and I'm going to carry this over to the target side because it's easier for me to, to say over there because I, I can say I've proven myself. So <laughs> if they want to argue, that's fine. But I can say, well, I've, I've seen it firsthand. But mm-hmm. um There are so many little like tuning techniques and equipment techniques and things that you can use. And people have this misconception that the pros just have all these secrets that they like don't share with people that make them good. Like, oh, what are these methods to tuning your bow that you have that make you shoot so good? Like, I'm not gonna lie to you. I could take a bow that I don't even tune, I'll eyeball it. And I could take it out and shoot pretty much basically the same scores as a bow that I would paper tune, torque tune and bear shaft tune all together. Um, like it's really not any of those little things. It's just how good the person is as an archer, like how consistent are you, how repeatable is your form, things like that. And so I try and tell people that all the time. Like if you're you're a 250 shooter, it's not because your equipment's not tuned, like you're a 250 shooter, like you have to improve. And like these little tuning videos and little things like that are not going to take you from a 250 to a 280 shooter. It doesn't work like that. Like we'll put hours in tuning things to gain one X, you know? In a whole right. tournament or so you're two exits, like two
0: fifty, you're talking like a Vegas, yeah, yeah, base, correct. Yeah, okay. sorry, just want to make sure.
1: Yeah, so it's there, like those differences. that yeah, they help, but it's so minor that when you see people shooting like, you know, nines, eights, sevens, and they're like, oh, I need my bow better tuned, and this wouldn't happen. That's not true. It's still gonna happen. And like, yeah, I realized what I just said sounds harsh, but it's the truth. And so I feel like people put so much time and effort into hunting for that next thing that's going to make them better then then it's not going to they should just go out there and like work on whatever it is they're already doing you know form and consistency and repeatability like learn learn to blank bail because that's your best friend if you're not at the level you want to be at and things like that to get better and then once you're like at the point that it's like you truly can't improve anymore that's when those little things are going to make such a big difference now I will say like Shooting targets has helped me a ton in understanding how the bows work, like tunability and shootability and forgiveness and all those kind of things. Um, And I carry exactly how I set my target bow up. I put the same amount of effort into my hunting bow Mm. setup as well. Um, Like, for example, you know, on target bows, if you see, we have like the D loop, but then we have like knock ties, you know, usually at least underneath the knock. And people don't do that. Most hunting bows you see, people don't do that. My hunting bow has it. So there's things like that that you learn from doing target stuff that I will always carry over to hunting. Um, that that might help, like I said, a little. But ideally, I can pick up most people's bow. Like I just I just went out and my brother's girlfriend is just new to archery and she was shooting all over, you know. And and I picked her bow up and I was hitting the same place she was, a lot shorter drawings and stuff. But I was like, here, let me like kind of just get your pins close. Like I'll shoot out for you that way, you mm-hmm. know, you're like hitting the bale and you can practice and stuff a little easier. And she's like, Well, how are, you know, how are you doing that with my bow? And it's it's truly the archer. Like it's not the equipment. Um I, I don't know how like hard I can stress that because I see so many things online and like questions and forums and like we have that target archers unlimited group, and like some of the questions I see people asking and they'll post groups or they whatever, and I'm like, oh, You're like you're not there. This isn't gonna help you. Like right. do this instead, you know? And I it's hard because when you say that and you're honest, people think you're mean. But it's like, I no, I'm actually the one that's going to tell you what's actually going to help you rather than say, oh, yeah, if you, you know, line tune your bow and walk back tune, it'll fix your problems. It won't. Like, it's not, that's not the solution. So I've learned. Um, And actually, let me use. Uh, do you know James Lutz? I have you heard of him?
0: I don't have. OK, not.
1: so he, j- he won. He just like came in. He's from Wisconsin, actually. In the Fita world, and just like came out swinging, he won the world championships last year. He um, just won our national championships in 2020. This year, he's an awesome shooter. But if you watch him, he totally punches the trigger. He literally, when he first started, didn't even know how to tie a D loop on his bow, and was rolling out there and like taking everybody's butt. Really? I'm not. I'm not kidding. His D loop broke at a tournament, and literally, like my boyfriend Tate had to tie the D loop on for him because he didn't know how. Um, huh. So. I use him as an example. Like he just won nationals, punching the trigger, and his bow literally had like a high left paper tear, like an inch and a half or two inches, like Holy crazy. Crap. Yeah, yeah. And I shot for years back when I shot for PSE. Like I couldn't get those bow to paper those bows to paper tune like ever. And I always had a high left tear from anywhere from probably one to two and a half inches. And I shot with that for years and and won. Like I had great luck. Here's the thing: the bow is doing the same thing every time. Like the only time you're going to have a major issue in archery is if something is changing on the bow or changing on your form, because that's going to show you inconsistency. But even if the bow ideally isn't perfect, but it's repeating itself, you're, you're probably going to be fine. So over the years through the target stuff, we've seen, you know, bows set up perfectly that just did not shoot how you wanted and weren't forgiving. I've had bows that paper tuned like crap, but were the most forgiving setup. I felt like I could make the most garbage shots and it would just still pound the middle. So I've seen how that works on the target side. And it's the same technology and the same bows and arrows and releases and everything that we're using on the hunting side. So I definitely like do not overstress or overthink like any of that stuff. I set everything up how it should be set up. You know, I set it up, I paper tune it and I shoot it and it's usually fine. And like I feel like people spend so much time, like you said, just stressing over that stuff. Spend less time stressing and more time shooting and they will be better off.
0: Yeah. Hey Amen. I, th- I don't think anybody else could have said it any better. I mean, I get questions all the time because I've, you know, built myself up to be the gear guy and, and stuff. Yep. And, you know, um, I'm going to shoot myself in the foot for that. But, um, <laughs> no. you know, because it's it's I, I've, I've had a few guys have had uh, Greg Poole on and basically, you know, echoing what you've said is just. You know if people put as much effort into just shooting their bow as they did worrying about FOC and tuning and being a 16th out of, you know, center shot. Yep. Man, you know, and you guys are shooting field points in in target archery. Now, if you're shooting broadheads, we might have so shooting a shooting broadheads, discussion. I do <laughs> shooting
1: broadheads, I do make sure my arrows are like paper tuned. Yeah. Um, well, that's different. Like I will put the effort and figure it out basically to make that happen because with broadheads, you need that. But like on the target arrows you really don't so again there are some differences there but man I just like I can't there and here's the thing like okay here's another random deal I just started doing some YouTube videos recently and one of the first ones I did was um site leveling I can't tell you how many hunters buy sites that don't even have a third axis ability to level them and don't even know what it means to level their site yet they're going to sit there and spend 10 days analyzing their FOC, yet their site's so freaking out of whack. If they shoot anything up or downhill, they're they're screwed. Right. And it's like, I have such a hard time like resonating or understanding a lot of the hunting community because they'll put so much thought and effort into something that doesn't matter that much and then completely disregard something that's actually super freaking critical and they don't even know it exists. So it's like... You know, (laughs) I I don't know. Like I said, from the target world, we know all that from the target side. So I'm super critical of it on my hunting bow. But if I, you know, if I didn't know all of that stuff, it's just interesting to me, the things that people really like to like analyze or criticize, even let's say that in the hunting world, because there's a lot of that that goes around.
0: Oh, for sure. Um, I mean, I, every year I, that's one thing I check. I have a bright sight leveler. So um, that gets you back to basically square one. Yep. (laughs) And <laughs>
1: I started with that back in the day, so yeah. I'm right there with Yeah, you. it's
0: just right there, and then um, I'll go out and you know I've done you know aiming at your door, you know your door jammed or whatever, yep. and up and down, and then but really honestly, what just gets me the best is just going out there, hiking a freaking reinhardt. I did the I did it five days before my hunt, hiking a freaking reinhardt yep. to the top of a cliff, shooting up and down, and then making my adjustments from there. And it's like man, yep. you know, like those videos don't perform. Near as well as a here's how I broadhead tune, you know, like that. Yep, that doesn't perform like a tenth of what I'm like, man, this is so important. Like, this is shoulder shot or gut shot, you know, this is this yes. is that, this is that, you know, like it's
1: a hundred percent. And if for those of us that live out west, like okay, maybe it's different if you're a whitetail hunter and back east, I travel back there all the time and it's really freaking flat, okay, so you could probably get away right. with the crappy third axis and be fine, but out here as a west coast hunter, like I can tell you where we hunt blacktails it's straight up and straight down a lot of it like it is steep and so like you have to have that ready and like so I've worked in archery shops and stuff like that I actually still work for Sportsman's Warehouse like super part-time when I'm when I'm home but huh. I'll look at sites on the shelf and it's like no ability for third axis, like no ability for third access and it's like I literally can't even bring myself to sell someone bows that their sites you know that don't have the adjustments that I feel like they need to have um Like, it it pains me. And then the other thing, like, if we're going to talk about releases, uh, one thing I do want to say, because we talked about, like, me shooting a wrist strap versus a handheld and, and whatnot, there are not many, okay, hold on, let me preference this with, I'm not trying to bash anyone, and I'm not trying to sound insulting. For a lot of hunters, the stuff that's on the market is good enough. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but there's a big difference between, like, hunters trying to hit a paper plate versus us trying to hit the X every time. Like target archery is where you truly have to prove something's consistency and accuracy. And it speaks volumes instantly as to if it's going to be good enough or not good enough. Okay. So like that's, that's the difference, but there are not many wrist straps on the market that can even remotely play in the target world. Hmm. Not even close. And Then it's like I was testing. So last year, I shot like, let me think, not nine at least different wrist straps because what I was using was not working. It had inconsistencies. And like I said, if something is wrong but is consistent, it's not that wrong. But if something's really inconsistent every time, like that's a huge issue. And so the release I was using had a lot of inconsistencies and I went and tested like everything, every brand, every release you could think of. Like I went crazy. And there were literally such a small handful of releases that are even remotely decent enough that I would ever consider shooting them as a wrist strap. Um, It made it very tough, Hmm. very tough where the handheld releases, basically all of the companies that are making those, they're all good. They're all proven and they're all legit. And don't ask me why, like every company makes four great handhelds at least. And like, no, no good wrist strap. Right. But usually hunters are using wrist straps and they aren't going to know the difference. Again, I realize that sounds like that's a really asshole thing to say, but it's the truth where like I picked some some up and I was like, oh, 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 God, like <laughs> Ugh, that, that will not work like that is right. not OK. And and here's the thing. That's not just my personal thing. When I was doing this, I was talking to the owners of these companies, to the engineers that created these releases. And, like, from their mouths, they are saying, this will not play in the target world. is not good enough. So yeah. that's not me just being mean. Like, they know that. Like, hear me out here. Like, I, I said, right. I'm not just, like, super opinionated. I'm I'm really not. Like, they even know that. So I worked. Um, I'm, I'm shooting Trueball now. I'm shooting their handheld but. When I finally settled on a release, they had the True Ball Execute that they had made, and it was a really, really good release. But the way it was designed, where the caulking mechanism was, I personally could not shoot it. I feel like a lot of women women couldn't
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because it kind of popped out where your back fingers would hang. So they created a new one from the Execute. It's called the Execution, and that is by far, like, the best wrist trap I've ever shot. Um it makes consistent, it so good? Crisp. So here's the deal a lot of, um, the issues are the internal mechanisms. So for example, if they use a, they have different sear systems, right? There's like a double sear system, a sear and a half system. There's like all these things. So on the release that I was shooting for a long time with the double sear system, um, they cannot get the internal mechanisms to, to not move. So it has Mm -hmm. poundage and travel and they will continuously back themselves in usually get heavier and then the other one gets lighter so literally I'm like talking to them and they're like yeah you have to pull the release apart and then you mash all these threads on this screw so when you get it to where you want then it can't move because you mash the threads and then this other one you can't mash those but you can blue loctite it or you can red loctite it or you know whatever and it's like wow what the hell like you don't you you should didn't have to do this to the equipment to get it to perform. What's funny, I call the next company that I was going to test, and I'm like, so what's your internal mechanism system? What am I looking at? Um, you know, I just came from the double sear, and I know that won't hold still, and they said, yeah, we used to run a double sear system, and it just straight up would not work and would not hold, so we went away from that, and this is our new system. So, like, here's the thing. All these companies know so much stuff behind the scenes that they're never going to tell, especially the average hunter, right? Like, they just don't know this stuff, but from the target side, if they didn't tell me, I would know within a week anyway. You know, because our our setups are so critical. Huh. And so, um, I mean, I had releases like malfunctioning and punching me in the face all the time. I had some of them like there was ones I liked, but the jaws just didn't open quickly enough. Um, so it would kind of hang hang a little bit, and mm-hmm. you'd get some inconsistencies there. Like I said, travel would change, poundage would change um the draws would hang some of them had a spring system inside and it would either misfire or the spring wouldn't drop all the way so it would literally like catch and you'd shoot three feet to the right like i'm telling you it was scary like (laughs) it was insane so so that's probably
0: not you're not command shooting when you're doing this if you're noticing that you're probably shooting with a good I
1: i always shoot back tension like even hunting even whatever like i said i only punch arrows If it's crazy windy and I have to. Other than that, I'm always shooting, shooting back tension. Good to know. Um, so with that said, the execution from True Ball with their internal mechanism, it is so complicated. Like I've seen the internals, it's crazy to look at how they actually design that, but it works. Like when you set the release, your poundage, your travel, like everything is going to stay the same. There's no travel in the trigger. Um, that's one thing that kills me. Like not to throw another company under the bus, but like we sell true fires and I'll literally whip them out of the box and be like, Hey, you guys shoot rifles? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, Hey, how would you feel if your rifle had this much travel in it? And they're like, Oh my God, well, that's just the release that everyone I know shoots this brand. So I was going to buy it. And I'm like, that doesn't make it good. Like, right. Do do your research. And so, you know, then I'll show them other options where it's like, okay, look at this trigger travel versus this company's trigger travel. And some of them you can adjust it out of it. Some of them, even when it's adjusted all the way, there's still travel. So that execution is crazy crisp. I'm talking like no travel. The the adjustments that you make will stay put. It's an open hook design, which I really like for hunting just because it's so quick and easy to like hook onto the D loop and go. You don't have to like look down and use a jaw kind of release, like hook it around the D loop and stuff. Like there's been times, especially here, it's steep, it's thick. You look down, you look up, the deer took three steps and you're like, where the hell did it go? You know? So I like that. I don't have to take my eyes off what I'm looking at when I go to shoot, if I'm going to apply that to a hunting, hunting cell situation. Um, It's awesome. And the thing is, like, a lot of the other companies are, I think maybe in the future, going to start putting a little bit more effort into the wrist straps and into their design. But one thing that I really, really respect from Trueball was they were like, you know, we don't want to ever make, like, a lesser product just because we can get away with it. Hmm. And companies do that. They do. Because, like I said, most companies do not make a wrist strap that can even remotely hang on the target side of the world with the handhelds that they make that are great or hinges. Cause you can't really mess up a hinge. Like it's a pretty, pretty simple concept <laughs> there, but you know what I mean? So I've learned so much from the target side that I never would. I honestly, I never would have known from the hunting side, but, um, I actually hunt with my handheld. I'm hunting with the true ball goat right now. Hmm. Um, a flaw, I mean flawless release like it's awesome now that release you can't shoot the button or a hinge I've never shot it as a hinge I use it as a button but I always hunt with whatever I'm shooting during competition just because that's what I'm used to shooting and it's fine so I'm hunting with this button right now but um I would have hunted I hunted with that execution and it was great like <laughs> when I was in Australia it is dirty there if anyone's hunted there like you're out in the wood like they fly you out by helicopter and like drop you off in the middle of nowhere and like let me tell you i had that thing so filled with like dirt and grime and like just nasty and it never gave me any issues like no misfires no nothing like it still felt clean no grittiness so like i i put that one through the ringer both on the target side and the hunting side and i was really happy with it Hmm. i'm not even using it now because of my shoulder but it is a great greatly made
0: product So, how many arrows are you shooting per week, would you say? Um,
1: So, here's the thing. This is kind of what's crazy. People will ask, how much do you practice? Well, one thing they don't understand, at the peak of our season, which is like 11 months of the year, (laughs) um, we are shooting every weekend in tournaments. So, if I just look at it that way, depending on the style tournament, you know, I'm shooting tournament arrows plus the practice arrows there plus the warm-up arrows in the morning. And if anything went wrong that day and I need to adjust something, I'm shooting after the round is done. So you look at that. I am not someone that actually shoots that many arrows. Like, There are other like, competitive compound archers that will literally shoot like 300 arrows a day um, every day they're home. I think they're insane. Um, <laughs> I would never. But uh, there's a lot of times during that season where – I fly out Thursday, we practice Friday, shoot Saturday, Sunday, I fly home Monday, and I'm only ever home Tuesday and Wednesday. Quite honestly, I normally don't even unpack my stuff. Really? And I don't shoot those two days. Yeah, just huh. because, and and here's another thing that I tell people, like, tournaments are the best practice. Like, if you're solely a hunter, I know this is primarily, like, hunters out here, so let me gear this answer toward them, but... Um, I shoot enough that I can keep my strength up to where I'm not sacrificing points because of fatigue, and that is it. Because I've shot for so many years, like I already have, it's like riding a bike, like I already have that consistency down, so it's not like I'm really working on something. If I'm going to be working on something or changing something or whatever, then yeah, I might shoot more. But if I'm not, I shoot just enough to keep stay strong. And for me, shooting tournaments, it's so much better and I get so much more out of it than shooting in practice. That it's like I could practice for two weeks and not get as much out of it as just a weekend tournament. So for people here, like live on the West Coast, we have like that Outlaw Tour. Um, I think you guys up there call it Safari right? tournaments. I we think, just call it like 3D. But it's like outlaws. the reading stuff. I think we have Outlaws stuff. here
0: too. Um,
1: yeah. So Eugene usually hosts one of them. Yep. Um, yes. It's over the Fourth of July. So Cascadian. Sh- or, yep. Yep. Hundred percent. So I tell like anyone that I sell a hunting bow to here, I'm like, hey, look around. Like in our area, for example, Red Bluff has a range, Redding has a range, like Almanor has a range, um, Orland has a range. There are like ranges all over that have local 3D tournaments. And I'm like, take your hunting bow and go. Like shoot those. And they're like, Well, I'm embarrassed, or it's not, and it's like, okay, if yeah. you're embarrassed, you probably shouldn't be hunting yet. But here's the <laughs> thing. How often do you go practice all of those distances, like where you might shoot 27 then 63 then 38 like for a pin shooter it teaches you side hills it teaches you angles up and down it teaches you how to gap your pins at lifelike shot scenarios um uneven footing like you can stand in your backyard and practice shooting your bow as much as you want but one of those tournaments will truly teach you so much about what's wrong with your form and your setup and whatever you know that you need to work on that I, i just tell people go now, same thing on the target side. If they're like, well, I want to become a competition archer, but I want to be shooting these scores before I go. Here's the issue. You might shoot those scores at home. You could shoot those same scores at home for a year, and you're going to go to a tournament and shoot like 30 points below your average and be <laughs> devastated. Right. Because it's all mental. And so you, you get better through experience. So I tell people, like, don't hesitate. Don't hold back. Don't look at it like that. Just go try. And you will learn so much more and improve so much faster that way if you're one of those like closet guys that's like oh no I'll just shoot in my backyard and that's good enough like right. I promise you like you'll be so much better if they do that so I I like half beg people pretty much to go to go do that for their own betterment you know because I know it's going to make them better
0: well it's like what you said um, like what what uh, what real life scenario practice are you going to get where you're shooting like a you know downhill 37 yard shot I mean at, yep. at, you know, through the trees or through the brush or, you know, whatever it may be. I mean, that's like that is like we have a local shoot here um, that is really good. I mean, the the ones that set it up are hunters and they are hugging almost every tree, every bush that you yep. can think of. You're shooting through trees on some of them. And it's like, man, this is really realistic. And um,
1: I just shot OPA, just went to BowFest, mm-hmm. like BowFest bought OPA. So our event moved to their event mm-hmm. and I went and shot some of the BowFest courses And that was in Wisconsin. So again, this is for people out east. But like, oh my gosh, they were incredible ranges. Like you said, like trees, close to hugging trees, through tree gaps, like uneven footing, side hill, like Mm -hmm. everything that you could ever ask for, for hunting experience. And they had like five courses set up for you to shoot. Oh, yeah. It was awesome. Like, it was so awesome. And so I feel like if if I had my choice, let's say I could run the world, it would be like a prerequisite (laughs) that someone who was going to hunt, like archery hunt, had to go do something like that. Right before they ever hunted and I promise you like people would hate you right if that was actually a thing but then once they did it they would probably have so much more understanding and respect for it that they'd be like dang okay that wasn't as dumb as I thought it was um it's cool and like the total archery challenges I think are like another example something that hunters can do that's like Mm -hmm. more their environment you know like they might feel more comfortable it's kind of like that's what's there it's not a bunch of target archers like it's it's hunters Like any experience, like it doesn't have to be, you don't have to travel across the country, just like find something local. There's always stuff around, but I don't know. I, I think that's so beneficial.
0: So as, um, a female outdoorsman, um, what would be some of the most biggest priorities that you could give to other females that are looking to either get in it or maybe start to expand their hunts and stuff like that? Um, as far as, as things that you found to be really important for your hunts, um, Versus so, something that maybe it wouldn't be as important to a guy or, or something like that.
1: Yeah, I think I think women just need to be more confident in their ability. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of what we do in in the target and the hunting world, it, it's a male-driven industry, obviously. And so you know, guys are faster and stronger and might hike faster and they can pack deer out better. Like whatever, whatever you know, you want to tell yourself, but. Honestly, like we can do it just maybe not as fast, you know, maybe, maybe not as, as beautifully, but we can do like anything <laughs> they can do like that. So that blacktail that I just shot this year, mm-hmm. um, I was totally by myself. Like my parents were up hunting in a whole different zone. Like, so was my brother and I was alone and I shot it like just before dark. And so like I did the whole process by myself, like set the phone up, tried to take pictures I gutted it, I drug it out by myself in the dark, which sucked because I'm scared of the dark, hung it up, like took it back to the walk-in, hung it up, skinned the whole thing, and drug it into the walk-in and got it hung up. Hmm. Was it the most fun thing I've ever done? No. But was it crazy rewarding when I was finished? Of course. If I had someone there to help me, would I have been like, "Hey, help me carry this deer in here because it's kind of heavy"? Sure, but here's the thing: I didn't need their help. Right? Did I want it? Sure, but like I didn't need it. Well, I would have done the so, same
0: thing. It's like, why aren't you help me drag this freaking thing in the in the cooler over here? Like,
1: put yeah, your hands on and like deer. I. <laughs> I was laughing because I literally like I had sawed like the neck off or whatever, you know? So I had like the neck stub there uh-huh. and I literally had it like half sitting on the neck stub as I'm like dragging it across the ground. And my dad's <laughs> like, what did you do? Like, why is there a, a blood mark, you know, or like a drag mark across the ground? I'm like, well, that was its neck because I had its butt in my face holding <laughs> it. So like the actual meat that we were going to eat, you know what I mean? Didn't touch the ground. And so I made it work. And so the thing is, I feel like women just need to like find their passion do what makes them happy and not be afraid to do it by themselves. Um, But here's the other thing. If they're not comfortable with that, then like, don't be afraid to ask for help either because there are so many people that would willingly like help teach them or train them or take them hunting or, you know, show them what they know. Um, I don't know. I just think, like I said, as well, one thing as a woman too, I said this earlier, but shot placement is more important for us than guys. Like if we hit a shoulder 99% of the time, the animal's usually fine and we are not we're not doing anything right um where guys can do that they can get away with that kind of stuff and and still kill the animal no problem we can't so like we have to be yeah like we have to make better shots like we can't get away with shoulder shots ever ever still to this day if i hit a shoulder it's gone period so sometimes i will err on the side of aim back just an extra one inch than I would if I wasn't scared of hitting the shoulder because I know, okay, if I drift one inch right and hit the shoulder, I'm screwed. But if I go one inch left of where I'm aiming, I'm still not going to hit the guts. I'll catch back at the lungs and and the liver. So like, it's fine. So there's strategic things like that, that I think about when I go to make a shot that I know my dad and my brother don't like, they don't have to, they don't have to worry about those things. Um, Also like speed is another thing. Like obviously our bow isn't fast, so shooting distance is, like, a little more difficult because it gives the animals time to, like, jump the string and do some stuff like that. So, like, try and use a try and use veins or fletchings that you, you know, trust that are, like, quieter um, <laughs> because as slow as they are and if they're loud, like, the animal's going to hear it coming. They might have time to move. Yeah. That's another thing.
2: Okay,
1: I mean, there's a lot of things, and I don't want to say, like, women are at disadvantages, but when you think about speed, arrow weight, poundage, like, our pin gap is wider. Like I said, I have to like be so careful and cautious when I get my pins Where my brother's like, yeah, three of my pins are in its vitals. It's fine. (laughs) We don't have that luxury. So there are things where we are at a disadvantage, but the thing is, if we don't look at them as, Oh, it's a disadvantage from the guys. That's just my normal. Like that's just what I'm used to. And I've had to learn to adapt to that and make it work. Then it's, it's not really a negative. You just don't know any different. If that makes sense. I mean, I know different because I shoot target and I, have a lot of you know guys that i'm with all the time so i know what they get to do that i don't get to do but (laughs) it's like we just we have to be more careful about shot placement like i would never shoot a deer quartering toward me because i know i can't right but but people do like i know it's not an ideal shot but i know people that have done it and they kill no problem um literally who was it it was like Cam Haynes or somebody good don't quote me it was him but like someone who's good just killed something And I was reading their hunt story mm-hmm. and it's like oh it's quartered slightly toward me and I smoked it and it was an elk and I was thinking like oh god if
2: ever. <laughs>
1: but like they did it no problem I don't think it was Cam but it was someone on my Instagram and, mm-hmm. and I was thinking like dang that respected and they admitted that. But I could never make that same shot, right? Or it would get away. <laughs> like it would be not fair to me or the animal.
0: Yeah, I've never um, I've never thought about it from that perspective before. Like you're not afforded the same shot opportunities just because you're not packing the same amount of heat as yep. you know, a 80 pound, 500 so, grade guy shooting you know, 200, 290. You know,
1: hunting here, Um, like if they're in pine trees, a lot of times uphill with like hanging limbs and stuff, we have to think about arrow arc. So, like, there's times where, like, my dad or someone could be like, shoot, shoot. And it's like, no, I know I'm going to hit those trees. And, like, I might have to drop to my knees where they could have just shot normal or squatted uh-huh. just for me to clear the same distance. Because my bow is slower, my arrows arc way more. So, again, you have to be, like, more aware of what's above it so you don't hit something on the way to the animal. Um there's a whole lot of factors like that, that, hmm. and again, anyone that shoots a slow setup is probably sitting here going, yeah, that sucks. Like, yeah, that sucks. <laughs> right. Whether it's a guy or a girl, because let's right. face it, it does suck. Like if all of our pins were super close together and a bow shot super flat, it'd be great. Yeah.
0: But somewhere you have a trad shooter being yet. like, quit bitching. <laughs> yeah, no, for <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs>
1: 100%. Some girl with a 23 inch drawing probably yeah. like, shut up. You don't even know. Yeah, right. but, um, but yeah, the thing is, is whether I'm dealing with those struggles or not, I understand that Like some people have to deal with those and other people's don't as much. Right. Like it's right. It's all relative. So I don't know. I just think women in the industry, it's a weird industry. It's hard. And like, I don't know. I see so many like people that hunt for the attention of hunting and hunt for like, it's just the, it's the industry's gotten weird. Like, I don't know how else to say it, but like, I know for me, like I've hunted since I was a little kid. Like, my parents took me out literally as, like, a small, small child. Like, mm-hmm. along with them, they were great about it. And as soon as I, I got my hunting license at 8 here in California, like, you have to pass a big test, like, a hundred question test. And mm-hmm. I was, like, so excited to do that. <laughs> so, I started hunting at 8, like, birds and everything that we could hunt, and then big game at 12. And, like, I hunt because I love it. Like, it's my passion. It's, like... It's our heritage. It's something that I want to share. Like, I also shoot tournaments. I hunt. I'm a hunter ed instructor here in California. Hmm. Um, I also work with a youth program, and I put at least 100 kids a year through hunter education that are getting new hunting licenses. That's awesome. Like, to me, that's huge. And so I feel like there's a lot of people in the industry that probably don't give back enough as they could. And, like, look at you. You're sitting here doing hunting podcasts, trying to help hunters. Like, that's badass. A lot of people don't do that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so for me, like I always am an open book with like, whether it's target hunting, mental game, like it doesn't matter. Like I'm not one of those people. It's like, oh no, I've learned this and I'm keeping my secrets to me. Like I want to help people and like teach them what I've learned, you know, over the years or like if I can tell them anything that's going to make their hunt easier or their tournament better or like you name it, like I'm, I'm willing, um, I just want this industry to stick around and honestly oh, living in California with like all the crazy stuff <laughs> that, that happens here all the time. Like I get to see what it's like when hunters don't stick together. Like that's the world I live in on a daily basis, living in this state. So, you know, if right. like I wish that the hunting community was a lot tighter knit than we are to be honest.
0: Well, you said it earlier, you know, the hunting community eats their own more than probably the archery, um, target community does you know it's and i think that's probably honestly because um people form opinions without having more of the facts and more experience anybody can have an opinion right i mean opinions an opinion and what good is it if you don't use it and so for good bad or the you know ugly um you don't have people that are out there shooting thousands of thousands of thousands of arrows a day saying you know foc isn't really that important at least for target archery accuracy um yep. and then you'll have, you know, this one guy that's been hunting for two years saying, you know, if you're shooting twenty percent or less, you're unethical and you're losing accuracy and you're losing, you know, all this other stuff. It's like, man. And and don't here's agree. the thing, like <laughs> I always
1: wonder, like, have these people truly set up like all these different setups and like shot them and tested them fair and square? And like there's been things where I might find like man this one setup's different than another one or whatever maybe i had a different knock on like literally simple things like how your knocks click click on the string and how tight they are or how loose they are changes your accuracy like i'm just throwing that out there is one minimal example that no one thinks about when i get a string from a company And I put it on my bow, I'm testing my knock fit. And if it's not right, we cut the center serving off and we reserve it with a different size center serving to where I get the knock fit that I want to have the best accuracy. Like we comb through these setups. Hmm. So again, as someone who knows what I'm talking about, only because I've lived it, not just from like reading shit, but because I've done it, at least on the target side, to have someone bitch at me that, oh, well, if you're two percent less, like you're not gonna shoot as good. Like, bring it on i'd shoot against you any day like i and and i guarantee you i could probably walk up to their setup and be like well that shit that shit that's unethical that's not right that should be you know what i'm saying but it's like why criticize each other like i would never do that obviously but i'm just saying other people are very quick to do that right and i don't get that like Hmm. it's it's nuts like i don't know i i was reading uh (laughs) this is i don't know maybe a year ago now but um One of my friends had posted a video on Facebook and it was – I don't know. It it was a little questionable, whatever. But it literally had like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of comments and like people just saying the craziest stuff. And you said that the two industries are different and here's why. In the target industry, nobody can sit and talk shit because you're like, well, show up and back it up.
2: (laughs) Right. And there's a
1: set (laughs) format or a tournament where – People go and prove who is the best. Like, you don't have to sit and say, hey, who are the best target archers? Because go look at the results and it will tell you. But in hunting, there's no way to prove who was good, who was bad, who did a better stock, who made a better shot. Maybe they made a shit shot and the animal ducked and they hit it good, but they wouldn't have. Like, there are so many scenarios when it comes to hunting. I just saw a lot of, of people on there like bashing. Oh, well, if you shoot a deer and it runs more than twenty yards, then you clearly made a piss poor shot because I've killed a hundred <laughs> deer and I've watched them all die. Well, if you live out west, like it's so thick, you shoot a deer and in three jumps it's out of sight. And right. like you don't often see a deer die. But it's like listening to people, it's like I know they're full of shit, but it's like why? Like what? why like back the other dude up like help him out like if you think there's something that they did wrong that they could do better tell them in like a helpful way but just like bashing people down and telling them how much better you are than them isn't going to make them better like right or help our industry in any way and like i think if people looked at it like hunting's under attack and we need to stick together then maybe they'd be a lot nicer than they currently are to each other
0: right you know and i I, that's very well put and that's why i I don't really take sides on hardly anything and i'm not married to any idea. if you show me something better and it's proven and i can prove it myself i will switch like i yeah
1: i i'm like big on testing things like if someone said hey i suggest this like okay i'll go try it i'll try anything 100% um because there's always like, I mean, you look 20 years ago and they probably thought they were using the best thing ever made. You look at the equipment now and it's like, wow, if only we knew the stuff back then. You know what I mean? Like, right. there's always new advances and new ways and things that come out and form things. Like, okay, uh, I was working on, I'm still working on the video. I was going to college, so I kind of went time out <laughs> on all of that, but I just finished. So I'm going to have a little bit more time coming up here shortly. But I was working on a video on form and like so many hunters shoot with a bent arm. And I'm not like a mega form Nazi. I'm the first person that says, like, go look down the World Cup line. Mm -hmm. Like, that's the best archers in the world from every country. And their forms are going to look very different. I'm not saying you can't shoot good one way. But I always give, like, the example, you know, if I was going to lean against the wall and talk to you for four hours, I could lean here all day with my arm locked. But if I bend my arm, how long am I going to last? If your arm's bent, how bent is it? Is it a little? Is it a lot? Does it change by arrow 20, arrow 30, arrow 40? If your arm is in the bone-to-bone position, bone-to-bone alignment locked, it can't move. It's consistent. What's archery about? Consistency. And I have people say, well, I was hitting my arm, so I had to bend it. Well, no, there's three other things in your form you can change. Your stance, your hand grip, and your left shoulder placement, if you're right-handed, that will give you clearance to not hit your arm But they just don't know those things, right? Like those are the kind of things where it's like I hate to see people sacrifice accuracy and consistency because they don't have the knowledge of like form and body and stuff like that to make the necessary adjustments they need. So I kind of started, like, doing some videos and, you know, stuff like this, like, obviously saying yes to doing the podcast and whatever, because any of that info that I can get out to help people, right? like, I want them to have access to that, because if that is the difference between them being able to practice the amount of arrows they want and making a good solid shot on their next deer versus not, like, I want to be that difference if I can, you know? And I know there's so many good people that feel that way, yourself included. Obviously, we're here doing this, but... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've never heard it, think,
0: put, heard it put like that about the bow arm. That's that's a re, that really makes really good sense because I've I've seen I, you know I've, I'm sure you've seen the same things. You should bend your. I, I heard it in the videos you should bend your arm more, and it's like um, every
1: time someone says that, it'd be like I'm trying to think. Okay, like maybe look at like professional weightlifters or something, and mm-hmm. you know how like they have very special form that they need to use to like not right. hurt themselves and do whatever. Right. It'd be like a professional weightlifter listening to some person have no clue what they're doing, like not wearing a weight belt you're supposed to wear and telling someone to do the wrong form. Like you literally just, your head's like, boom, it like explodes. That's how I feel whenever I watch those videos. Well, and then you're going to bend your arm. I'm like, oh my God, here's the thing. You can shoot good with a bit. Like Jesse Broadwater, he's always the example I give. Um, He shoots with a slightly bent arm. He's freaking phenomenal. Like nobody can question that. Anyone in the target industry is going to know who Jesse is. So, I mean, there's an example, but... When you think of it black and white, if something is bone to bone, there's no way it can change versus bend. If I said, go shoot 200 arrows, like right. how consistent is one versus the other? Well, one cannot change. It'd be like if you were going to tighten your scope down on your gun, would you want your, your bolts all the way tight where you knew it couldn't move or just like half tight and one a little snug and would you trust it? Well, I would prefer it to, to know that it cannot change on me. And that's a locked arm. That's a shoulder in the socket. That's a wrist bent up and back. Like there's certain form things where, again, I'm no form Nazi, but there are things within the form that I'm like, look, do what you want. But here's example a. And here's example B example a isn't just repeatable. It will always be exact period. And B can never be exact. It's probably not repeatable. It will vary with fatigue. What option would you prefer? Like, Obviously, the one that's more consistent. So when I teach form things, there's a lot of things that I'm like, oh, yeah, you can get away with that and you can get away with that. And this can be different. But this one, that one makes a huge difference, you know, on consistency versus something else. And so Hmm. the way I always teach it or teach archery is like with those few little things that are very, very critical to repeatability.
0: Right, well, I've mean, you come up with some really good metaphors there that I've never heard before, and I'm probably gonna have to steal those and use them so <laughs> <laughs> but um, i've I've said in a few videos talking about form and stuff is you know what is accuracy and you can break it down to duplication and consistency. and those yep. two things right there, I mean those make up accuracy. If you're consistently doing and duplicating the same thing over and over again, and you said it even even it's technically the wrong thing. If you're consistently doing the the same thing and everything's the same, you're gonna shoot in the same spot. If if everything's else is in place, you're gonna shoot in the same spot. And I had a guy the other day who's um, I don't know he's got to be in his 40s or 50s, and he's like, yeah, I, you know, back when he was learning a long time ago, somebody told him that same thing. He's like, hey, if you're no if you're doing it improperly, but you're doing it the same way every single time, you know, you're gonna be accurate. Um, yep. So he's you know he because we were talking about that and we were shooting together and. And he just never bubbles. He just doesn't bubble. He just does, can't do it. Can't worry about it. It sh- sh- throws his whole shot process out of whack. And I'm like trying to compromise. I'm like, okay, so angle. You know, like I'm like, I'm like, okay, so. But it works for him, you know. And that's that's just yeah. him. And you know, the metaphor that I use all the time is if you look at you know, uh, form as a foundation, um, like on a track, and you have a bunch of lanes on a track, you need to stay in that track, but you need to pick your lane. Um, you know, yeah. not everybody's going to be the same so yep 100 uh,
1: percent. and like i said like there are people that are incredible that do things i mean wonky. very differently yeah yeah and like for example when i first started shooting like on the world circuit there were like all these coaches from other countries that would come and like watch me shoot and they'd be like how do you do this? Why do you do that? Why are you standing like this? Why is your arm like that? And there was no reason. I just like, I don't know. It's just it's how I shot. I
2: <laughs> it wasn't good.
1: It wasn't per se, right, right. But I'd done it long enough. I did it the same every time. Now, over the years, I put effort in and work to like, change those things to make my form, not because I wanted it to look better, because quite frankly, I could give two shits about that. But I wanted it to be more consistent as far as like, how my bones are in a line and different things like that. How much muscle I'm using versus, versus bone, right? Mm-hmm. Because obviously minimal muscle is ideal, technically. Um, so I did like changes like that to make it better. But I was one of those prime examples of like, how the hell do you hit the target? Like I didn't look good, <laughs> but I did it the same. Right. And so, but I can tell you like, um, so I told you at the beginning of this thing that my left elbow like sucks. The joint's not great. <laughs> the stuff is stretched out. So in a way, my elbow isn't bent. It looks like it's even overly straight, but it could actually go even more. Like it will like bend backwards the wrong way a lot oh. and hyperextend. And so from back before my elbow did that and I could shoot with it truly locked versus now, um, I can tell you that I cannot shoot as many arrows aiming as solid with it now as I could back when it wasn't as injured and I could lock it. So like I I just know that from experience. Like I aimed so much better with a locked arm and then you look at the people and here's another thing I always say. There's different kinds of tournaments. Like if you look at the ASA shooters, again, not to throw them under the bus, but they're shooting like 20 arrows a day. We used to shoot Fita. And, and they shoot one arrow like every however many minutes because they shoot one arrow per target. When we were shooting FiTA we used to shoot full Fitas, which was 144 arrows, not counting warm-up, like 144 competition arrows in the wind, which is brutal, and six arrows at a time. So who do you think had to know how to shoot better or have better form to get through their round? I could have literally shot freaking left-handed and shot 20 arrows in an (laughs) N.S.A. and been fine. But it would have eaten me alive if I did something half wrong at a feet, right? With the arrow count. So if you're one of those guys that like pulls your bow out a week before archery season and flings a few arrows and goes and tries to hunt, like you're probably not shooting many arrows. And if your form isn't that great, as long as you can kind of do it sort of consistent, you can get away with all those like Things like that. But for people that shoot a lot, like, have to shoot high arrow counts Mm -hmm. or whatever, you know, like, I can tell you, because I've done it, like, there are certain things within your form that will make it better or make it worse. Um, And it is more relevant to target archers, and it's also more relevant to target archers that shoot certain formats than other target archers. So, you know, I always say hunters can get away with murder because they don't have to shoot that many (laughs) arrows. But... But, like, we, we know where what murder we can get away with and what murder we can't when you have to go score 100 arrows in a day. Right. It's different. I could shoot, like, I could go walk down right now and go practice and shoot 100 arrows and not be that tired. But when you shoot 100 arrows, like, in a competition, it's so interesting how different you shoot the arrows. Like, it's, like, three times as tiring per every arrow because mm. you're – trying harder mentally you're trying harder like you're everything's in like hyper performance mode i guess where when you're shooting practice you're just relaxed right so it's also funny because people might go well, I could go shoot 100 practice arrows but let me tell you like it is so different when you're shooting arrows that matter versus arrows that don't matter it's way more tiring <laughs> so again we've tested it on the how many arrows can we get through it what's better when it matters because that's really what's important
0: interesting that's a really good insight i've never thought about a lot of those things and and um just talking to you opens up some ideas for me to work on and stuff and my my achilles heel is my front shoulder um my shoulders are both bad from bad form drawing a bow and too much poundage and too much draw and and so my shoulders suck and so um i'd have to probably draw like 40 pounds just to get my elbow up and actually draw like you're supposed to Um, if i do it like this like you're supposed to i'll feel like a rolling muscle or nerve just roll right across the bone and it'll just like can't shoot so um so, so it sucks but my front shoulder when i start getting tired it just starts riding higher and higher and higher and it's just like man that's, so, that's my achilles heel there
1: so one thing okay if you stick your front arm like against a wall mm-hmm. to your wall next to you mm-hmm. okay and then take take your arm just kind of have it straight and roll your shoulder up to your ear which is really easy like Um, and if it's, you kind of have to have pressure on your front arm for this to work. Okay. But if you have your arm against the wall and you roll, it'll roll like back and forth. You can roll it up to your ear and then roll it down and back. And at its lowest point, that's basically where you want it to be. So it's interesting when people teach that, they'll be like, drop your front shoulder, drop your front shoulder. But depending on how your feet are on how your stance, if you have a 90 degree angle stance, Mm -hmm. more open or closed, um, that changes how your shoulder is going to drop into that socket. Hmm. And so some ways with how your feet are standing, it may not be possible. A lot of the times, and one thing that you can test, stick your arm, I I can actually, I I can see you right now. So stick your arm straight out to the side and then set your other arm on top of your shoulder and then slowly bring your hand toward like me, toward the screen. And you're going to notice that at some point your shoulder kind of drops, right? And then it kind of lifts as you go out to the side. And then it kind of drops as yeah, right you should bring it forward. Right it yeah. So that's actually the angle that your front arm should be at. And you should turn your feet in a little bit to get your arm to that angle. Hmm. If you're standing perfect at a 90, it cannot go down in the socket. Yeah. But when I shoot you turn slight- a little bit open to the target. It kind of drops down in. If that yeah. I shoot,
0: I shoot like a slight open stance to the target. Um, yep. So it'd be like, yeah, basically it'd be uh, about like that. So yeah, that's good. Yeah,
1: And so there's just little, little tiny things like that where someone might struggle and it's like, okay, you're doing good with your shoulder, but hey, let's change this one little thing with your feet, like maybe a 10 degree angle change right on their stance, something minimal, Interesting, but it makes it way easier for their shoulder to stay consistently down. Mm-hmm. Um, also like how you lock in, like high drawing is obviously one of those things. that's like super criticized in archery, but take your hand out. Like you're going to draw at the ground and then like bring your arm up. Your shoulders like naturally going to be up if you draw down. But if you take your arm and you put it up maybe 15 degrees, it's weird. You can literally see like the shoulder will go down, up, down, up like in the socket. So I always teach draw just barely above center. Don't sky draw. Don't super high draw. But you need to be barely above center. And in doing that, it kind of locks your shoulder down in the socket before you even start to draw. Yeah. Then you draw with it already pre-locked. Rather than drawing and having to try and force it down in as you draw. So Hmm. there's things like that that are, you know, if if you're taught by someone who knows what they're talking about as far as form goes, like it can make your life a lot easier. It can make it more repeatable. And depending on how much effort and like time and how serious you want to get into this, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot like that you can learn. Some people, they really don't have to know that and they will still be fine. They'll still be successful hunters and they'll be good. But other people you know, if I, I was going to fly, like we talked, fly to Africa, fly to Australia, fly to whatever, like you're usually spending a lot of money and a lot of time. Right. And at that point, those are usually people that are taking it pretty serious. And you would think that they really want the best opportunity if they're going that far and hunting and, you know, whatever else, or draw the elk tag of a lifetime or, you know what I mean? Like, you don't have to leave the country. There's still crazy, awesome hunts here. I'm just saying like, it's all perspective. It just depends on like how serious people really want to get into this. But, there's little form things like this, like what we just talked about, is so much more important than what percentage of FOC are you running? Like what, what of what do you think is going to make them a better archer? That FOC argument, and no one ever agreeing, or like the couple little form things we just talked about. And if they actually like saw a video and learned how to change it and made them better, what's actually going to make them better? Well, right. hold the second one. Yeah. So, you know, I just advise people like if they're gonna stress about things, make it be things that are gonna. Give them the biggest performance increases. Like don't waste your time over something that's gonna gain you one X if you're not perfect already. You know what I mean? Like focus on the things that are more important to like your overall performance and consistency to make you more accurate, then worry about the little things like once you get to that point.
0: Hey man. Well, I think I think you're hitting the you need to do another shooting um, clinic up here so I can so I can join and learn. <laughs>
1: So. I probably will at some point. I, I shoot for Botex, so mm-hmm. I just kind of worked it out with them. They asked me to come up, and uh, we had a good time. I was actually crazy sick that weekend, oh. so that was kind of miserable. But we had a great turnout. The people were, like, a ton of fun. We had a really good time. Um, I'm actually thinking about maybe starting to do some seminars here now that I'm done with school. But if I was going to do them, I'm, I'm, like, kind of a perfectionist, and I wanted to do them well so i wanted to have some time to like build good powerpoints and like put a lot of time and thought into mm-hmm. different topics and stuff before i just like jumped on it but tate and i were talking about maybe doing some of that so hey we'll, i know we'll locally beautiful. in
0: roseburg you could get something going for 100%, yeah 100 i would help. <laughs> that would be cool yeah
1: i'm uh i'm sure i just you know like i said if if i'm gonna do it i want to make sure that the people coming are going to get the most out of it so i want like my thought was I was going to have a bunch of different topics that I was prepared and ready for. And then like have whoever's signing the people up from like the local shop or something be like, okay, what topics do these people most want? And then maybe focus on that stuff more than some other, you know, like yeah. based on who the audience is and the You'd different places and what they and tuning.
0: do.
1: <laughs> yeah. The thing is tuning is important. Like I it would is. usually <laughs> always teach that, but I would never like Mark my words, I will never teach FOC in a seminar.
0: <laughs>
1: Just for that point, if I ever am, you have my full permission to call me and be like, liar. But... <laughs> what are
0: you doing? <laughs> well, hey, I appreciate your time, Paige. And and um, is there anything else that you wanted to shout out to before um, we hung this thing up? Because I'm going to go, uh, my buddy's got an elk tag here and I'm going to tr- go bugle for him, see if we can't find him. Oh, a bowl. heck
1: yeah. No, that's super cool. Um, honestly, like I said... <sighs> Guys, I just I just want people to have fun, love what they're doing. Like, use good use good equipment. Like, do your research. Like, use common sense on stuff like that. I'm shooting that new. I never really talked about my bow, but I'm shooting that new Bowtech Revolt X. Um, yeah. the deadlock cam system is crazy cool for tuning. Like, that's one thing. If you're a center shot Nazi and you want it center shot, you can always set it there and like tune it with the cams. There's so much that you can do. Yeah, with an um, with that setup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like no bow press, no nothing. Yeah, it's like I, so I tuned simple. one of those the other
0: day at the range. I did a YouTube video on it. I'm like, this is just so stupid. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so easy, crazy yeah.
1: awesome. And like the draw cycle on those cams, like I said, I normally cannot shoot that much poundage and I'm able to pull way more. Like it kind of speaks for itself. Like there's things like that where I tell people like go try them. I'm not even going to say buy the Bowtech because you should buy Bowtech. Like go try the Bowtech and try other companies and you'll probably end up picking it and love it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm one of those people that it's like I want mainly I want people to have confidence in themselves and in the equipment that they're using. And so if you're going to go shoot a tournament or hunt, those are like the key things that you need to have and you should always have before you head out into the field. So if you don't, that's where you need to spend your spend your time. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. I don't know. But overall, I thanks for having me. Like, I really I really appreciate no, it.
0: No, I appreciate you coming on. Do you want to give some people some places to find you on your socials?
1: Uh, yeah. So my Instagram, I probably use more than anything else. Um, my name on there, it's page pierce and then underscore in underscore site. I kind of just started like a little brand name thing called insight. I'm working on that. I don't know if you've seen that logos like target on one half deer on the other. Uh, so kind of working on some of that. And then Facebook, it's just page pierce. I have um, a normal Facebook, but I don't really use it. It's my like page. It's at page pierce insight. Um, all one word and yeah, those are pretty much the two platforms I use primarily mainly Instagram, but I, I, I do try and keep up on questions at, at least on Instagram. So if people hit me up or you have any questions, if yeah. you listen to this, feel free to ask, I will do my best to answer. Perfect. Um, Instagram lets us send little voice messages, you know? And so I love it cause I can answer the questions like quick and thoroughly where on Facebook that's not an option. So I have to like type it out. So I, right. I'm not as good on there.
0: Yeah. Well, it's hunting season two. So if, if, if you don't yeah, back immediately, that. uh, you know, hopefully people can understand.
1: <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I feel like hunting season. I sometimes have more time than tournament season. It's so oh, crazy. Really?
0: Yeah. Oh, just man. so
1: much time shooting planes, you know, the whole nine, it gets nuts, yeah. but
0: I shoot my bow all year round and I shoot it the least during hunting season. Yeah, because you're actually out hunting you're not not... just home shooting exactly it's like 100
1: percent yeah mine is trying to weigh right now the fact that we still have tournaments and i really should be like hardcore focusing on my tournament bow but instead i'm choosing to hunt so (laughs) you know it's kind of weighing priorities there but
0: priorities i'm a hunter first (laughs) yeah
1: i i'm supposed to be a target archer first but i like hunting more so try battling that one
0: perfect so all right Paige. well hey i appreciate your time and and um just based off of this conversation we're gonna have to have you on again sometime to answer some um some questions on shooting and and all that stuff because i got a lot of good info info from you and i definitely learned a thing or two so i appreciate your time
1: yeah of course thanks for having me and good luck this season
0: awesome yeah i hopefully you can post some kill picks here very soon yes (laughs) (laughs) all right we'll catch you later you too All right. That's this episode of the podcast. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, be sure to check out my YouTube channel. Just type in Garrett Weaver in the search bar. I'll pull right up. Really trying to grow that audience and and give uh, content on that platform because really video uh, content for learning archery is where it's at. So uh, if you want to learn more and see what I'm up to and see the gear reviews and and get shooting techniques and tips and what I do preseason and bow tuning, it's just there's a ton of videos on there, over 100 videos helping people learn about their gear, learn about archery, how to shoot better, all that stuff. And it's all geared towards archery. And there's a few hunting videos on there as well. But a lot of gear reviews and a lot of shooting tips. So that is Garrett Weaver on YouTube. Be sure to check that out. Appreciate you guys for listening. And I will see you on the next one. Bye.